This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Alex Thompson, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash How To Wrestling for as little as $5 a month. You can support the show and get access to monthly pay-per-view reviews or ongoing and extremely fun side series pay-per-view classique where we go back and look at classic wrestling pay-per-views from all sorts of different walks of life. Recently, the World Bodybuilding Federation was dropped here on the main timeline and as well as that, over on the feed now on Patreon, we've got WrestleMania 10, we've got No Way Out 2003, December to December 2006 Survivor Series 1998 WrestleMania 21 it is absolutely quite the selection and a lot of fun easily our favorite series and we do have spots available now if you have got a project a podcast a series of your own a thing that you would like to advertise to all of our lovely listeners here on how to wrestling head us up over page.com forward slash how to wrestling or how to wrestling at gmail.com subject sponsorship but for now that's enough chatter business is about to pick up and uh, boomer sumer by the way it's time for how to jr episode of how to wrestling the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling how to get into wrestling how to understand wrestling and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling and boomer sumer it's me your old pal good old km joined as i am always by Oklahoma's favorite daughter it's joe graham hello how are you doing today i'm very good thank you how are you i i am excited this yeah. is a, a banner episode <gasps> uh, quite an important one yes it's not every day we get to talk about the voice of professional wrestling. That would be a very different podcast. Why? Every day we talk every, every, day every episode. Yeah. How to JR is the name of the podcast. <laughs> and each episode is just, I don't know, about something different. Each episode is a review of the latest episode of his yeah, podcast. That would be awful. It's a nice little cycle. As long as he keeps going, God. we can keep going, Mike. Imagine. Look, everyone listening. Thank us right now that that isn't the podcast. Imagine that. that what, could have been the podcast. A podcast review podcast. A podcast review of a, of a wrestler's podcast. I mean, I think if we get to the meta point where we're having podcast review podcasts, like, you know. That would be an interesting line on my LinkedIn. Like, <laughs> a professional wrestling podcast, a wrestling podcast. No, well, well, the thing is, like, you know, all the wrestlers, they all kind of retire and they all start becoming podcasters. Mm. Well, be is all those pro- professional podcasters will retire and will do podcasts about other podcasts. Yeah. That's what it be. It's a natural, uh-huh. natural ecosystem. ecosystem. <laughs> exactly. Now, this is obviously a, a very big name, and it's someone who is holding both a, a firm point of like nostalgia for a lot of people. I think there yeah. may be people who listen to this podcast who don't watch modern wrestling, and they're like, JR, that's a name that they know. Yeah. And maybe there's people who have watched modern wrestling only, mm. and they know JR quite well also. Yes. How soon into you watching wrestling, Joe, did this name become kind of part of your, your knowing of the world of wrestling? It was early. I'm pretty sure it was in the first year of me kind of learning about wrestling, like since meeting you basically since actually understanding like names like the undertaker and stuff like right, yeah. if i if i think of my first proper entry point being that day you came to my house and showed me hell in a cell that's like <laughs> entry point zero good god almighty yeah somebody stop the damn relationship <laughs> I, I will apologize in advance there may be either far too many or far too few jim ross impressions in this episode depending on your preferences so yeah sorry about that <laughs> 
I think it was about a year after that moment, or within a year of that moment, that I became aware of Jim Ross. Right, and it's it's interesting to me always that I think out of all the people we've done episodes on, I think there's a very select few, like a handful, where people who maybe have never seen wrestling at all, yeah, will know of this person. Kind mm. of, like, well, Hulk Hogan is, I think, the the prime example. You know, uh, Steve Austin, maybe, maybe to a lesser extent, John Cena, obviously. You know, we have done an episode on The Rock, but he's he's a name that people know. But I think a lot of people are very familiar with Jim Ross, even if they don't know who he is. I mean, maybe, I guess. I'm the wrong person to ask because I was familiar, even though I wasn't familiar with wrestling. I was familiar with Hulk Hogan and Steve Austin yeah. and The Rock. But I had n- like never heard of or knowingly seen Jim Ross. Right. But... His calls, Aha. I probably on some level, you know, if someone had done an impression of him, I would have been like, that's familiar, and I don't know why. So when I was a teacher, I was blown away by this fact that you would have kids send in each other videos, you know, Instagram videos and YouTube compilations. And it would be like, I, I'd be walking by, I, I would always keep the ear out on the on the playground. If someone was talking about Randy Orton, I'd be like, excuse me, you know, uh, what's going on over here? And... I would hear oftentimes, like, J- I think that's JR. Like, what, what, what's on the playground? They, all these kids huddled around. And you'd be like, good God almighty, they killed him. You know, all, all this stuff. Like, don't do that. You know, all these great calls. I'm like, is someone watching Hell in the Cell in here? And it'd be like a group of kids watching botches from soccer, you know, yeah. from, from from the footy hmm. with JR's voice put over it. Or I'd look over here and like another time there was kids that are all like, you'd hear people going like, what the hell is this? Have you got no soul? And they're watching fail compilations. Yeah. He is someone who, and I think it's important to address this at the start, he's kind of transcended wrestling a little bit. Yeah, so that's actually, you, you saying that has reminded me that before I got into wrestling, back when I was just curious, wrestling curious, <laughs> try to think of a catchy word for that, but there's, there's, I think there is one. But back when I was on Tumblr and I saw those gifts Aha. of... Um, wrestlers mm-hmm. uh, that was like oh that looks fun i remember there being a caption on one of them being like wwe commentator voice by god <laughs> and at the time being like i know exactly what that sounds like yeah but i didn't know you know obviously it's transcended the po- point where like people don't necessarily know his name but people i think if they do think wwe commentator voice they do think jim ross and you know there's people as well i think it's always very funny to find this out that there's people who think that you know wrestling is wwe yes. as, as in you know that those those things are interchangeable oh god yeah like the time my american friend came over and we took him to a wrestling show yeah. like a, was what culture what culture yeah. and then he went home and he told his, him. he told all his friends that we took him to see wwe and we were yeah. like no oh i love as well there's a group of folks where like wrestlemania is the yes. same like WWE is WrestleMania yes. and WrestleMania is wrestling. I'm not saying that it's kind of like a WWE. Is, it's just in no, no. they those words all mean the same thing. Yeah. Look, honestly, if you'd asked me before we started this podcast, I would have said that. I'm sure. And I, you know, I think it's very worth mentioning that as that is the case, Jim Ross is easily whether you like him or you don't like him, whatever your opinions, no one here is going to argue the point that he isn't the voice of wrestling for that for that very reason because. Yeah. No, only one person has transcended wrestling into the mainstream as like, a, oh, the wrestling announcer voice, the WWE commentator voice. Yeah. And it's Jim Ross. It's Jim Ross, yeah. You know? Why do you think that is? I mean, I know why that is. <laughs> it's because he's like, you know, is it because he's he's good at his job or? I mean, definitely he's good. At, I'd say it's like, it's it's kind of part and parcel. Like, it's partly because he's good at his job, but I think mainly it's because because he was so good at his job, he has done it for so long. Mm. Like, 
as someone pointed out to us on Twitter, he has been the voice of wrestling for three generations. Yeah. Like, in wrestling, you don't really get three generations of anyone. No, you get three generations of different people from the same family, maybe, or whatever. But never, like, one person. Like, even someone like Ric Flair, who's had such a tenured career... You wouldn't really say, oh yeah, he's gone through three generations of being yeah, a wrestler really, because yeah. he's kind of like come and gone and stuff like that. But like, or people shift into different roles, exactly. You know, like say Dusty Rhodes yeah. or someone like that. But they JR's, move into booking or know. commentary. But JR's always been commentary, commentary, commentary. Yeah, it's weird to think that you could have like kind of a ten-year-old kid and their granddad, and they can both be like, kind of, oh yeah, I listen to this guy yeah. every week. Like, and I just think it's when we're talking here now about this guy, we're we're talking about one of the most tenured professionals in wrestling seriously probably the most tenured non-wrestler in Mm -hmm. wrestling i mean this man has outlasted vince mcmahon in the world of wrestling you know what (laughs) let's take a second to appreciate that fact that's pretty cool that is pretty cool yeah i like that a lot so he is someone who is associated in my mind as being that voice of wrestling i think a big part of this is because almost every iconic moment i can think of when i was a kid Mm. You know, when I think in my mind of like Stone Cold doing something cool, or like Mankind winning the world title, or even thinking about kind of your know, classic stuff from before my time, like you know Ric Flair and Sting, and you know, mm. it's Jim Ross and different yeah. types of Jim Ross, mm. but that's the voice that I hear in my head. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's the case for all fans or or for younger fans. I mean, it's definitely the case for me, and I didn't really? grow up with him, like to the point where if I think back on like recent matches that he didn't call for. In my mind, I still hear him calling them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's just, like, overwritten whoever actually did that job. Now, I know we did a whole episode about commentary here yeah. on, on this very podcast. And it's an episode I think we're, we're, we're pretty proud of because, you know, I, I think I took commentary for granted. Like, it's the most, like, just normal, you know, take it in. There's wrestling commentators. They're going to gonna talk and I'm going to enjoy it. But you've always had a slightly different relationship with wrestling commentators <laughs> and wrestling commentary as a as a as a platform or, a, or an art form, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I, your your tastes have changed over the years. Is that fair to say? What well, um, commentary? I mean, there was a point in time where you said that Vince McMahon was your favorite commentator. I'm not sure if that's the case anymore. Still, no, or? not anymore. But I he will always have a very special place in my heart mm. as a commentator. As a commentator, <laughs> specifically, <laughs> and it's just because of his his silly voice and the type of stuff he talks about. Like I feel. And I completely understand why other people don't like his style. Yeah. Because it's kind of for people like me. It's for people who like sports entertainment. Yeah, who are right. Kind of, who are kind of dummies. <laughs> and that's fine. Um, but it's not like, it's not very detailed or like clever, the stuff Vince McMahon says on commentary. Like, yeah. it's not going to be very quotable. Yeah. But it's simple to understand. You're not going to like, you know, you understand what's going to happen in the match and it's it's never too distracting, which I like. I appreciate that fact. But no, definitely my favourite commentators today are definitely Michael Cole and Taz. Really? Yeah. Amazing. The good work been done over on Pay-Per-View Classic on yeah. the Patreon right there. Like, yeah, it was very, very funny that like you've been a, a slow slow build towards liking Taz and yeah. all it took was seeing you, him as a commentator uh, <laughs> and not as an actual wrestler. I was very fortunate enough to meet Jim Ross at like kind of a, a live event that he did in, in London many, many moons ago. I think maybe even pre-podcast it would have been. But uh, me and Adam Bibolo from the HR podcast, we, yeah. we went to see him and we were gushing as you know, we were such big fans of his from you know, back in the day. And we're like, oh, Jim, thank you so much. You know, like, thank you, you know, for everything that you've done and all that. And he just looked at us and he went, you know, us announcers, you know, the, the rest is the music, but uh, we just provide the lyrics. Wow, that's deep. And like, he's, I've heard him say that, you know, it's probably his 
boilerplate stock phrase he says every person in that yeah yeah because it was late and he was fucking sweating he was tired (laughs) and he signed every fucking piece of merchandise that was put in front of him i've always had that in my head as being like that's such a beautiful way of describing that job that role of what they do Mm. you know you can't have one without the other yeah you know and one can definitely elevate the other thing in ways you know yeah Uh, i i really appreciate someone who thinks that way i mean definitely when you compare it to commentary from other sports now i know you're not much of a sports fan neither am i <laughs> but we've both seen sports we're aware of yeah. like football commentary or rugby commentary or cricket commentary or whatever yeah, yeah and it is interesting how commentary serves such a different purpose even though there's a lot of crossover between shoot sports commentators mm. and wrestling commentators yeah. i think there's a, a school of thought with a lot of people where wrestling should be treated like a sport. Yeah. And therefore, sports presentation is something that people like to see. Mm. You know, I know in AEW had things, you know, like rankings and stuff like that, which they quietly got rid of in recent oh, did years. They? They, they did, like, it's because it was you know, a bit confusing, maybe, or hard to, to book long term. But, you know, a big part of the sports presentation for people is, is kind of like they want the backstage interviewers to do it like that, the video packages to be like that, and they want the announcers to be like that. Yeah. And I always think it's very interesting because there's another school of thought, the Vincent Mann school of thought, which is commentators are storytellers. Yeah. And you shouldn't be telling me about moves. You shouldn't be telling me about sports stats. You should be telling me about the emotions, mm. what's happening in the ring. Explain it to me. Make me feel stuff as an audience member. And I can't think of someone who exists in both of those spaces at the same time as a commentator quite as well as Jim Ross has over his career. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, Jim has had a very, very long and interesting career. I mean, were you shocked to find out that he wasn't just a commentator, that he's been kind of an office guy as as well throughout his time? No. See, this is, again, it's an interesting one to do an episode on at this point in the podcast because Mm. Jim Ross, because he's such a important part of professional wrestling, it's been impossible for me to avoid learning about him. Like, I do try. You know, we've been doing this podcast for eight years seven eight years and throughout that time i do try and not learn about certain people in wrestling but certain people just have a habit of coming up don't they yeah stop it and jim ross (laughs) unlike the undertaker who like yeah i know about nine lives or whatever that's called but like (laughs) is that not what it is (laughs) it's nine line but that's like i mean that makes less i thought it was to do with a cat i think to say say that what you know about the undertaker is a is a right wing t-shirt he wore one time i mean we did have him (laughs) versus Shawn michaels in our last episode in fact yeah yeah obviously i've seen him (laughs) wrestle but like i'm not going you know i haven't had to learn about much about him right in his prime about his personal life about his career stuff like that like yeah i've seen him but compared to someone like Jim Ross, who I feel like I have inadvertently learned so much about him without even, like, even while trying not to. Yeah, I mean, he's showed up in a lot of episodes as kind of, you know, as, as someone who is, you know, not, not in the commentary capacity, yeah. I think. And he's shown up a lot. We've talked about, it's been hiring practices and yeah. stuff like that from when he worked as the head of talent relations for WWE, which is a very, you know, very hard job, let's exactly, just say. Exactly, yeah. And because of that role, and because of the fact that, you know, the nature of the podcast is we cover episodes on individual wrestlers it has been unavoidable to talk about jim ross because he's been so important to like you know when we did stone cold right at the very beginning of this podcast he was one of those main key players like yeah. he got stone cold hired yeah he was part of stone cold storylines for a lot of the time you know, like mick foley's episode yeah. came up as well you know yeah, yeah it's just unavoidable yeah i think like it is a uh it's it's um he's someone who has had a, a position of 
of hiring and firing uh, yeah. during one of the most kind of you know tumultuous times he would have been head of talent relations during you know the attitude era for instance yeah you know a lot of people's favorite wrestlers you know he would have signed edge when he was a youngster for instance as yeah, kind of yeah. you know, a young rookie or whatever he would have been involved in the signing of you know kurt angle tristratus yeah. lita all these these kind of big names so he is someone who he ju- he has again you know he exists in, in two spaces at once in another sense in that you know iconic voice and you know the the voice you heard introducing lots of shows over the years but also responsible you know without jim ross the hiring of of WWE and you know even WCW, uh, you know it wouldn't have been the same. Like the, the landscape of wrestling is the way it is, you know, because of him in in, in no small part. Yeah. So we are talking about someone now who is, you know, the more, it's funny. Like I know how important he is, but I'm kind of because it feels like it's dawning on me. Like shit, he is like insanely is, yeah. important. Oh yeah, like, he's yeah. like as important as like Vince McMahon. Yeah, I like, think you know you can you can make arguments for that for yeah. sure. You know, which is like both impressive and somehow insulting at the same time. <laughs> Well, I mean, like Jim Ross, we're gonna we're gonna talk you know, through his career. We're gonna talk about you know the highs and the, the the many lows. We're gonna talk about some of the matches that he's called. We'll pick up on some of like his style points and stuff along the way, and we will get into as well some of the many times that he's been used as an on-screen character. But I'll tell you, like for me as a kid, I you know as soon as I heard Jim Ross that, and as soon as I saw Jim Ross. That was like something that I was into. Like it hooked me as a kid straight away. Why is that? Honestly, and I hate this about about myself. It's that like it was because he was a bit of a character. You know, Vince McMahon viewed Jim Ross as being a bit of a character. Yeah. And you know, I tuned in to watch the wrestling show, and there's a dude in a cowboy hat called Jr. And he'd been, you know, ma'am, you're welcome to the wrestling show. So like, you know? by a bit of a character, you mean he wore a hat? Well, he wore a hat, but like he had, you know, this fucking cool Southern drawl. He had yeah. Passion. He got angry about the bad guys. He fucking got, you know, he hated injustice. He wanted to see, he wanted to see a good fight. He loved a good fight. He loved a slobber knocker. Yeah. You know, but you know. Case in point, when I got my first wrestling video game, and you know, WrestleMania 2000 of the N64, you know, I, that that was mine and mine alone, and I I put me versus Jim Ross straight away, like, <laughs> yeah, I want to I want to I want to fight Jr. You know, that was a it was a mark of respect there. You know, we had a look at some of the pictures of young Jr. You know, not not born but raised in Oklahoma. So cute. Uh, you said he looked like a... He looks exactly... <laughs> I'll post it on Twitter. He looks exactly like Bobby Hill. Bobby Hill. Literally. It's like it's like Mike Judge, when he was designing the Hill family, was like, now what would little Bobby Hill look like? I know. Quickly goes to Google. Young Jim Ross as a child. Got the little buzz cut. He looks exactly so cute. Cute as a button. Cute as know? a button. Yeah. But like also a little bit of like... Um, defiance. Yeah. Like he doesn't look like um, just a little well-behaved boy. He looks like he's got a little bit of spark in him. A bit of spark. So this is really interesting that you made the Bobby Hill comparison. Um, you know, his childhood, it's, you, you kind of take for granted, like kind of, you know, oh, you know, it's it's, it's back in the old days or whatever it is. But like, you know, JR is like, you know, 70 or whatever it is now. Mm. So you know, when he grew up, a different world, a different time, you yeah. know? And he grew up on a farm in Oklahoma mm. and he was an only child. Oh, really? You know? uh, one of those latchkey kids, as they used to refer to them. So you know, his, his mum and dad would be working, you know, you know, all time, all the day. And he mentioned in his book that there'd be times where he'd just be left on the farm alone for like, you know, hours, you know, sometimes days. And, you know, he kind of lived in his imagination a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's why he was drawn to, to wrestling early on. You know, he would be calling matches in his head playing with like you know little dolls he made out of sticks you know just kind of wandering around the farm 
you know, it's it's always difficult. I always feel like really like a bit weird because I feel like I always will always come across as judgy about kind of like looking at how someone was brought up back in the day. But I feel like how he was brought up. It's we've used the phrase toxic masculinity back in uh, in this podcast a few times, mm-hmm. and I feel it's kind of a prime example of that. You know, like his dad is the arch typical strong silent type. Oh right, dad never said he loved him. You know, that, that type of a thing. Oh, God. Love was hard work. You know, no one ever drowned in their own sweat was a, was a great phrase in the, in the household. Mm. How do you do, earn your dad's appreciation? By working hard, you know, putting your head down. I was going to say, because like, you say about him having a big imagination and also him being an only child. I can only imagine. Like, being an only child is hard anyway because your parents will only ever pick on you to do chores. You, <laughs> Shit, yeah. If you also work on a farm and you're the only child, that's so much extra work you yep. have to do. No uh, wonder. He probably really appreciated the moments where he got to play with his little straw figurines and i think as well with that like you know i might my parents you know i i grew up in kind of a, in you know I, I wasn't an only child but you know i i was the type of kid where i i didn't get to see my parents a lot when i was growing up you know my parents were working you know nine ten o'clock at night during the week so you know I, I wouldn't see them an awful lot so i kind of i always felt like there's this kind of like there's obviously a respect but also kind of like a little bit of anxiety that comes with that when you're a kid and you know that your parents are working so hard and you're conscious of how long they're working and stuff like that it kind of it it's it's hard you know and i feel like that you know if you're an only child it's even harder and he has this kind of you know the, the two people that jr worshipped most in his life were john wayne and his dad and both of them are kind of like you know well i'm gonna saddle up anyway and bite my bottom lip and yeah. there's a lot of sad stories in his book that kind of show this like you know his dad's his prized possession was the dog the dog in the, the house was like this you know premier dog you know had papers and everything Um, once a year they would you know let the dog breed and you know they'd sell the puppies and they'd make you know a good bit of money from that was one of the big revenue streams for the farm and one day jr well he forgot to lock the gate and that was one of his many chores he had to do and he didn't lock the gate and some other dog came in and impregnated the prize dog oh shit and it was one of those things where like he was like i almost knew straight away what was going to happen and you know a couple months later there's a litter of puppies and his dad shows up with a hammer and the puppies oh in a bag. Oh my fucking god. I'm not saying this is a 17 or 18 year old kid at this point. This is like, he's like in short pants, let's just say. And it's like, it's almost like he doesn't have to say. It's like, you know what you did. Here's the consequence. I'm not mad at you, but you have to deal with it now. Fucking hell. I cannot imagine. Like, you when you talk about a stiff upper lip and all that jazz, I don't know what kind of like, hard fucking armor you have to don mentally to be able to do that to fucking puppies but that's like such a common part of living on a farm especially back then oh yeah because like yeah there's extra mouths to feed you can't you can't afford that and that's i think kind of just showing you the expectations of like kind of you know gotta do what you gotta do Mm. and i feel like he's someone who you know that's that's something i thought i'd bring up early because i feel like later on in his career that mindset that he has where it's like you gotta be tough you gotta be strong you gotta be brave learn to like the taste of shit yeah and i feel like you know there's 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 many paths in life where that can serve you incredibly well and i think there's other paths in life where that kind of mentality can lead you to i don't see me taken advantage of but like man there's no there's there's nothing like an easy target for a bully than someone who you know has this complex that they gotta be fucking tough gotta live up to those expectations and i have to say that vince mcmahon praise on those people yeah. you know in, in all walks of life and this is going to be an example of an episode where 
Vince McMahon has kind of a toxic relationship with someone and they're not a wrestler. Yeah. You know? And I think that is very worth bearing in mind. Mm. Uh, he was a bit of a hunk in high school, though. Oh, my God. Well, you say high school, as if it was just in high school. I mean, he's a hunk throughout his career, Yeah, my, my personal opinion. Official hunk ranking by Joe Graham right there, folks. Prime hunk. But yeah, as a young footballer, yeah, total total chad. <laughs> I, yeah, I was blown away. I just assumed, you know, you know, I was reading the book and it's like, ah, yeah, you know, he liked to listen to, he liked to watch the matches, he liked to listen to the football on the radio and he was, you know, hanging around the farm. So I'm thinking like, ah, yeah, you're a nerd like me, right? And it's like, no, nah, fucking captain of the football team. Yeah. He's the he's the class president in high school. Yeah, the leader of the future farmers of America. Wow, like what the heck? Like this is and that, in Oklahoma, that's a big ass oh, deal. Of course it is. You yeah, know? he's a high achiever. You know, he's the son of a prominent farmer. Mm-hmm. He is like the next generation of farmers. He's like their kind of you know yeah. their their spokesperson. To say that it was a disappointment to the family when he's like. Gonna give this wrestling thing a whirl. Ooh. Like it's, I, I almost imagine it's as difficult as when I was telling my parents I'm gonna do podcasts. Yeah, like, I know, it's like, right? You do what? Like seriously? <laughs> What's that? That's a very strange thing. So the way he got into wrestling, <laughs> this is like classic because you know back in the day when you had to protect the business and people didn't know if it was fake or a work. He wanted to raise money for his fraternity in college because they had been involved in a bit of a fracas. Oh, uh, that's no. I never like to hear that. Fraternity and fracar. Yeah, those those are two bad F words. So he described it in his book as thus, where there was there was two football teams and one of the football teams had a lot of black students on it mm. and the other football team was mostly white students. Okay. And they had developed a quote unquote healthy rivalry. Okay. Uh, which led to, let's just say, when they did have a football match, mm. there was like, you know, a bit of chaos, let's just say. Right. You know, dressing rooms were fucked up, you know, brawl, this, that, and the other, you know. Wow, okay. Double check with Kevin before we edit this, just so I'm sure I haven't got my story mixed up. Mm-hmm. But essentially, the fraternity were, with all the, the, the his football team were all, were all called in, basically. It's like, right, like, you know, you've pretty much disgraced the school here. We've had a, a big incident you know, everyone's breathing down your your necks. You need to do something positive for the for the college. So JR is thinking like, right, we're going to raise some money maybe for charity, put on some sort of an event. What will we do? And he was thinking, what could what could work? He's like, I know wrestling. People love wrestling. We've got a space here in the school. We can pay them through the fund from the fraternity that we get. This is a great idea. So he goes to one of the local wrestling shows where he meets uh, Cowboy Bill Watts. Okay. Who is a man who would be his mentor. And he basically has to negotiate getting a wrestling show while under the veil of kayfabe. So does Jim at this point know that wrestling is, inverted commas, fake? I mean, he does, but he knows enough though, like a real smart fan, that he knows enough that he shouldn't say anything. That's so fascinating because... The number of times on this podcast <laughs> we have mentioned wrestlers having no idea. And they're in the fake. ring, like and you they're know, in the yeah. ring. And some cases, like with Brett, they're in a family of wrestlers yeah. and they don't even know. Having a clue. Having a clue. So the fact that he could figure that out really says like more than him joining all these societies and being class president, that to me says way more about his intelligence than yes. any of those. There's a kind of a, a social intelligence there and a way to read the room that yeah. you know will serve you well in this you know, there's a reason why he climbed to the top of the, the office side of wrestling and yeah. it's like that he, type of a mindset. He gets it. I mean he tells a story where like, you know, when he first meets Bill Watts, he's like, Yeah, we'll we'll come meet you after the matches and you know, Bill's in the main event because he's the booker and he's also, you know, one of the top stars in the in the promotion. 
and you know afterwards he's he's coming in and he's like oh that son of a bitch he just screwed me out of the out of the title you know you know the big ice pack over his head they're like just just give him a minute guys give him a minute you know like oh yeah of course bill you know whatever you need mr watts you know just playing along basically i just know these are all like tough men who view themselves very seriously but let's we all know it's fake but let's all pretend you have to protect the egos i know right i love that so he gets, you know, a deal set up with him where it's like, all right, you know, we'll send you some wrestlers. We want this amount of money. You know, we'll give you the ring. We'll give you some, you know, referees, whatever it is. But you have to do the promotion. You have to do the the, the ads, all that stuff. And Jim is like, great, because, you know, I'm involved in the radio station here. We'll put out radio ads. And, like, no one was doing radio ads at the time for wrestling. Wow. So straight away, Jim Ross is like, this is he's the whiz kid. Because they got a great show. He, he books this show, basically. He prom- or I should say he promotes the show on campus and he gets a great big crowd so what year would this have been kind 70s, of 70s you know thereabouts and they didn't have radio advertising in yeah. the 70s for I mean, wrestling didn't, didn't think about doing it like what but this is about back in the day where like hey i'm bill watts i'm the promoter i'm the booker i'm the one of the top stars as well you know and i also have to work for the you know, the nwa and you're working you know they have a lot wow. going on i guess i guess so and it's this great thing where because you know, it's wrestling, no one could be like, hey, you did a great thing. We want you to do great things for us. It's yeah. more like, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe there's an opportunity we'll for maybe someone like you. do you a favor. Maybe we'll do you a favor and let you come in here and do something. Was it radio advert? <laughs> Whatever, that'll never Sounds work. Sounds like a phase. You know, this is, this is terrible, but we'll bring you in. And he's brought in as kind of a catch-all term, let's just say. Like, he can do, he's, he's a referee, but he's also a driver. And he's also Leroy McGurk's... Um, assistant. Right. Uh, Leroy McGurk, bit of a character. He, he popped up in Jim Ross's Hall of Fame speech. Mm. He was a totally blind man. Uh, what, what did you know about Leroy McGurk? I know that he's blind. I know that he's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you only know of him from the, the anecdotes there. Which I do. I only know that. What's the anecdote that you know about Leroy oh McGurk? Oh my god. So... Jim Ross said that he got called up by Leroy McGurk and Leroy was like, um, come meet me in my car. And so Jim goes to his car and when he gets in, he sees a, was it a revolver or something? Yeah. Some, some kind of gun on the dashboard. Uh, and JL's like, well, what's that doing there then? And uh, Leroy McGurk is like, we're going to go kill the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. We're going to murder him. I'm going to shoot him. And uh... <laughs> I mean, like, that's got to be like the sassiest, like, first day on the job request I've ever heard. Like, look, I know you're new here, but you got to earn your stripes. Yeah. You know, and we all have to lump it. But like, what I find like unfathomable about that is the guy is blind. Yeah. Completely blind. Oh, yeah. Like, how are you going to shoot someone? Like, strangle them, maybe. Why? Sh- that requires aiming. Well, the idea was was that he said, right, what you're going to do, Jim, is, right, you're going to get me, get me, into- we're going to check into the hotel, right. right? You sit me in a chair right by the door, put the gun in my hand. <laughs> point it for me. Point it up there. Then you go and you call Ted DiBiase. You tell that son of a bitch to come down here. I need to talk business with him. And then we're like, you know, Three knocks on the door so I know right. it's you. And then open it, get out of the way, and then I'm going to unload the revolver like, and I'll kill Ted DiBiase. such a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, yeah, usually if you're, if you're like, you know, Leroy McGurk won national championships with a glass eye. Like he lost, he was a, a proper old school shooter, like a Stu Hart type. Right. So you weren't going to tell him he wasn't going to murder someone if he wanted to. Oh yeah, you know? obviously. <laughs> you, you let the man murder whoever he wants. You know, he, was, he was someone who was blind but refused to use a cane. Right. You know, he was like, he didn't kind of ex- fully accept yeah, his yeah. condition, you know. So he's like, yeah, if I want to shoot someone, what, yeah. and nothing's going to stop me, like. He, um, 
we could we could have lived in a world where Jim Ross got shot by his yeah. own promoter boss. Or we could live in a world where Jim Ross is in prison because he was yeah. part of an accessory to a murder of the million dollar man Ted DiBiase. Oh my god, why did he even want to kill him? I, I've heard various things. It was either like he didn't like that he was taking a book in somewhere else. Oh, or it was like petty. it was like or it was like he was like looking at his daughter, you know, some proper like, you know, stupid like I guess if there's a good reason to want to murder Ted DiBiase and like the like one of your top stars or whatever it is. So your Jim is like, so wait, it was his own employee. Oh yeah, he was working. You know, he was one of the guys who was wrestling for him. <laughs> you know, just fire him. Don't murder the man. Yeah, you want to hear tales from the territories? There's oh one for you right there. Um, a different world. You yeah. Know? And I think, yeah, we had it in the Brett episode oh, as well. Oh, we say a different world. I mean, Tony Khan, he's always getting wrestlers to drive in places so he can uh, murder. murder someone who yeah. works for him. Fucking hell, actually. I got a call from Tony Khan. He said, we're going to go murder CM Punk. Yeah. Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Just give me three knocks on the door. Like, make sure it's him. Uh, yeah, Leroy McGurk, interesting character. He would drink a full bottle of whiskey every day. Right. You know, and he would do commentary as well. And that's how you know Jim got his break into commentary was that... You know, the, the regular commentator was gone. It was clear that Jim was the guy that they wanted. Yeah. And it was like, oh, maybe we'll give you a shot. You know, right. maybe. But, you know, his first run on commentary, his colleague was blind. Mm. So and we talked, you know, in the How To Commentary episode, the need for good commentary for accessibility reasons. Absolutely. Yeah, I find it fascinating, the idea that someone could do commentary while not being able to see anything. So the idea is he'd be the kind of the colour because he's the former wrestling champion. So Jim would right. be like, here's the move. Here's what's happening in the ring. Here's here's what he's going into now. And he'd be like, oh, okay. Commentary me. on that. Yeah, he's basically, he can only commentate if the play-by-play is doing his job really you well. You know what? I would love to watch some of those matches if they're out there because that sounds really interesting. And it's, honestly, yeah. that kind of sounds like the pure essence of what commentary should be. Yeah. And like I'm even, not saying all commentators need to be, you know, there needs to be one blind commentator for every table. No, but, but like, you know, when we were doing the, that, that episode, you, yeah. you you listened to a few pieces of commentary where you couldn't see the match at all. Yeah, I was just relying on the play-by-play and the colour commentary for information. And if I, if I recall correctly, Jim Ross was the person who excelled most at that. Yeah, you know? he did, yeah. I mean, it came from as well. His dad, his dad loved, his dad loved football, and you know, Jim loved football as well. So that was like their their bonding thing. So they would spend hours and hours of him just like, you know, they'd watch the football, and Jim would just literally sit there as a kid and just do play by play for his dad. Oh. And then his dad'd be like, "Well, why did he do that?" You know, and he'd be like, he'd try and analyze and all that. So he was, wow. he was kind of from a young age being geared That's up for so this. Cool, it's amazing. Like yeah. you know, and that's kind of the background, I guess, that you you, you need there. But you know he's traveling the roads. He's you know the the young boy or whatever. He's driving people around. You know he's sleeping on the floor. I think I think it was so like so cute hearing him in his Hall of Fame speech being like you know Scandor Akbar would let me like you know get one of the big pillows and curl up at the end of his bed. Yeah. that's so sweet and so cute. And he wasn't saying it in a kind of like. That's what's so fascinating about wrestling is so oftentimes wrestlers will tell these stories about them like sleeping on a floor and they'll be like. And it was the best time of my life. <laughs> and Jim Ross is the same. He's like, I loved every second. Loved I'm, it. I, I admire that. Like, me too. Couldn't you know? be me. Fucking hard, you <laughs> yeah. know? Real hard living. You gotta really love your job to do that. So he, you know, he kind of just... By being around there, by being willing to do kind of a bit of everything, he kind of proved himself to be invaluable. Because if you're kind of a jack of all trades and you're willing to do everything, then hey, you know, you're, you're, there's going to be a space for you in a promotion. Like it was Mid-South where he was. And like Mid-South Wrestling that Bill Watts ran, it was 
considered to be the cutting edge at the time because they had a, a TV show and they were like the first people ever where like a, an hour of wrestling would end and like someone had just run in and screwed someone over and there's a big crazy brawl happening and you know, you'd end the show by going, oh my God, what the hell's going to happen next? And that's it. The episode's over. Tune in next week. Wow. You know, a lot of wrestling companies don't even do that anymore. No. You know, so he was kind of a little bit on the cutting edge there with that. But the territory went into decline because its main base was around the oil fields in Oklahoma and Texas. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of people there, like laborers who were coming in to work on the oil fields. Mm -hmm. When the oil fields got shut down, suddenly there was no audience. Right. So it kind of, it started to struggle. Yeah. At one point they thought they'd try and become like a new, you know, a new brand. They turned into the UWF, but it, it didn't have legs, unfortunately. So they ended up being bought out by, by Crockett Promotions, which is mm -hmm. the group that would then become WCW, basically, in essence. Right. And it's kind of a bit shady because JR had gotten to the point in the office at that point where if there was going to be a big takeover, he was in line for a big payday. Mm. And classic wrestling, the money never materialized. Right. You know, UWF got brought in and kind of, it was meant to be like kind of a merger, but it was mm. kind of like, you know, Ring of Honor and AEW right now. It was kind of like, we got this property. We're not really sure what to do with it. And in this case, it just disappeared after a while. So he ends up then working in Crockett as one of their lead announcers. And this was, I thought, a good time to maybe pop in and watch some classic Jim Ross commentary. We went back to the heady days of 1989. And you ain't going to get much better than Ric Flair and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I was, uh, I'm not going to lie, this was a, a fun day at the office to, to watch some classic Jim Ross commentary. Yeah, I'm uh, excited to see more Ric Flair and Ricky steamboat i think it's it's one of those combinations that's like it's like garlic and parsley it's always Ooh. guaranteed to go over with the crowd like yeah. you know younger jim ross on commentary is a much different vibe from kind of main <laughs> timeline you know attitude era jim ross which is a different vibe from more recent aew jim ross yeah definitely the younger jr what 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 is it about him that's that's there's an intangible quality there i think i mean <laughs> he's definitely really good don't get me wrong he's always obviously been gifted for commentary and he sounds so young here i know right but like it's a higher pitch it's almost. so high pitched it's sounds... like it's this real like it sounds like edited like modulated or something yes like, like tonally pitched up yeah yeah yeah. like it's it's bizarre honestly i found it quite <laughs> yeah i i kind of i remember like watching early jim ross stuff for the first time and i couldn't believe it was it was the same yeah. person you know and obviously there's you know there's reasons medical reasons why you know his voice and his his ability to speak changed over the years yeah. i mean his voices do change as well that's true yeah like, i mean if you listen back to our podcast <laughs> our voices all change absolutely yeah there's a lot of documentation of that over the yeah. years and we started in our 20s he started when he was basically 19 yeah i know right <laughs> But there is, I, I feel like there's a lot of things that he's done kind of throughout his career, but they're a lot more evident in the early days. And I feel like the tempo in which he speaks yeah. and how he goes from kind of not to passionate yeah. very quickly. Yes. And it never sounds phony. Phony, no. You know, as in like, it always feels like it's a genuine type of a, yeah. a reaction or whatever it is. Yeah. And I feel like I often watch wrestling and someone will be like, oh my, because it's like, they know the big spot is coming. They've gotten right. up and gone out of the way. Whereas Jim, like a big part of what he would do, he'd be like, don't tell me the finish. Oh, really? Don't tell me the finish. Don't tell me the big spots. Yeah, yeah. He'd like to know as little as possible. That's great. So he could react organically. Now, I wonder if that's still the way he works today. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, let, let's not bury let's not bury the good times by talking about the later days is okay. all I'll say I mean all I'll say is yes but the outcome is maybe not the same right here, okay. you know I feel like maybe that leads to him be more bemused than not in modern days <laughs> whereas here it's like fucking hell you know you couldn't tell me from Jim Ross's point of view there wasn't anything more exciting or more more real and more intense than Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat at the Chai Town Rumble, like, mm. you know. <laughs> I find it very impressive how quickly he talks here in his early career. Like yeah. he could have definitely, if he wanted to, had a an alternative path in being an auctioneer. <laughs> yes, because he, he really can. He enunciates so well, even when he's speaking really fast. Because I was going to say, you you had often said, I remember the early days of of watching wrestling that you found a lot of the commentary like it was hard to like focus on the action of the ring and all the noises and the clattering that was going on and actually like listen to what they were saying and you know yeah i mean I, I still have that I, it turns out it's an adhd thing oh how about that it wasn't wrestling's fault after no. all i guess when we were watching the few matches that we did here for for jim i guess we were probably trying to keep an eye on the the old uh or an ear on the old commentary yeah like, definitely he was speaking very fast did that like make it more difficult for you to, to understand them or anything like that not for or? me i've always found it very easy to I think because I speak very quickly as well yeah. um, and everyone in my family does. So I've never found, speed has never been difficult for me. To I, I, I've always been a fast talker as well. Yeah. I used to always get in trouble when I was speaking in any capacity to be told to slow down all the time. That's why everyone who listens to this podcast, instead of listening to it on 1.5 speed, they, doing it like? they listen to it on 0.5. <laughs> slow us down. <laughs> The intensity that he brings for near falls in particular is something that I love mm. because, and I, I feel like it's the type of commentary where you, you hear him say and do something and then you kind of compare it to more modern stuff. And it's like, it's not as if the modern stuff is particularly bad on its own, but when you hear someone doing it in a different way, it makes you kind of go, why don't they do it like that? Yeah. Like in the first 30 seconds of this match, someone gets pinned mm. and Jim Ross is like, one, two, oh my God. Because like, yeah, it could. It right? could end any time. As opposed to, like, if you watch a you know a more modern you know, wrestling product, yeah. if someone goes for a pinfall in the first ten seconds or first minute, no one's going to go, "Oh my god!" Because wrestling matches never end after a minute, no. generally speaking. You're not going to get excited. But Jim Ross is already like real life passion. Yeah, and that makes watching these matches like I got so into this match. Yeah, it makes it so much more exciting. So so good, like. He never, ever, ever feels like it's faked. You know, you no. think that he genuinely believes it. I think that comes from him treating it like a sport, I guess, in yeah, that I sense. Yeah, I guess so. You know? And, you know, in this match, you've got Ric Flair and you've got Ricky Steamboat. They're obviously two great athletes and all that. Mm. But I like as well that he's not just calling moves and telling you, like, you know, oh, this person might win very quickly or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. He starts peppering in these little character notes along the way. Yeah, and it's really clever because I think... Part of the art of being good on commentary means knowing what to say and what not to say. Mm. Because obviously you've got to you've got to call the moves, you've got to give information, stuff like that. But you also have to get over the characters in a way that would please the wrestler and the promoter. Yes. And so that means, especially at this period in history, keeping kayfabe and adding to that kayfabe. Yeah, yeah. And there was a moment in this match where he starts talking about the differences between Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair. Oh, and let me tell you, this man has a sixth sense for downtime. It's like he knows yeah. there's going to be 30 seconds here and I can fill this in with little, little nuggets. Little like. And he starts to talk about how Ric Flair went to private school. He doesn't say it in like a judgmental way no, or like, a, look at that rich kid. He's just like, yeah, he went to private school. He, he also got a... kicked out of private school. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but yeah, he, he had a very 
privileged education, privileged upbringing. On the other hand, Ricky Steamboat, he went to public school. You know, he didn't have the same opportunities. He doesn't need to hammer home what that means. Yes. He just says it. Those are the facts. And then he allows the audience to come to their own conclusions about what that means for them. Yeah, there's another bit as well he, he said along those lines later on where he's like, you know, Ric Flair is is kind of, you know, is, is white collar. You know, mm. uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. When this match is over, folks, he's heading back to, to North Carolina working at the family business, Steamboat Gym. And like that that's a real place. And it's like, well, yeah, it's like there's one pan you can be like, here's a millionaire wrestler who's got so much money, he's got like a side hustle. But yeah. instead it's he's reframed it as like, that's the business. He's off there grafting, yeah. working in the gym, he's just a regular guy, like and he doesn't have to say he's just like you and me, mm-hmm. but he's like he's he's making that very much evident very, yeah. very quickly. I think there's a, a lost art there in the commentators being able to fill in the blanks that the wrestlers maybe don't have a chance to on the microphone yeah. or whatever it is. And he's apparently someone who would sit down with wrestlers and be like, tell me about your character. That's so you know? good. Ugh. Why doesn't everyone do... I mean, I guess you can't do that with everyone. There's not time in the world. Um, wrestlers are very busy people and they probably don't want to sit down with every single commentator and tell them their life story. But like... That extra bit of research yeah. is essential yeah. to be a good commentator. Oh yeah, I, I think it's and I I know you mentioned Taz and Cole as as, as the commentators that you like, but like it, you could set your watch to it back in the day where Taz would be like, Yeah, you know, I had a conversation in the back earlier with <laughs> this person and anecdote, you know. Whereas Jim will just kind of he'll pepper it in a little mm. bit. And I think as well there's like there's not, in these early ones particularly, there's a poetry to his language. Oh my god, totally. You know, there's a thing he says about Ric Flair here when Rick just, you know... I don't know if this might be the same one I've got. Was it a marvellous documentation of tenacity is the nature boy Ric Flair. Beautiful. Now the one I've got is different. Ric Flair travels in fast circles. <laughs> I love that. Which like works on several levels yeah. because one yeah he like circles the ring and he does it quite fast and he'll fall over and stuff like that but what he actually meant here is that he travels with very flashy people yeah he's a high flyer he's very flashy he throws his money around he has these sexy ladies who accompany him to the ring he travels in fast circles it's i just brilliant. think that's a wonderful phrase yeah. i've never heard that said before and i think it's <laughs> a really lovely way to say it i mean i got goosebumps during this match and i was like not you know I just dropped, I was like kind of parachuted in. I, you know, I wasn't watching loads of Ric Flair. I wasn't watching this. I wasn't following the the angle mm. or the show or it's not even a particular time period that I'm invested in. Yeah. You know, but I was straight away there. And I think the big thing about his commentary is that it's almost always very positive in terms of he's always bigging up the guys and he's bigging up the brand. Like in this match, he's talking about the NWA, this is the biggest title fight, this is the biggest prize. He's not saying, you know, it's not being like, oh, it's over this other banana nose circus company, <laughs> brother. He's he's just talking about, he, we're here and this place is great. Mm. These guys are great. Mm-hmm. This is exciting. Like, and it's infectious. Yeah. You know, his passion is incredibly contagious. Oh yeah, definitely. He's fucking anguish when Ric Flair uses the ropes for a pin illegally. And then he stays there for kick out after kick out. It like it made us both realise kind of like, you know, oh yeah, kicking out is really fucking hard, you know? And like putting your feet on the ropes, maybe that makes it a little bit worse. It just made me think about like, I wonder how long Ric Flair could plank for. I watched the <laughs> I watched the world record for longest plank the other day. Oh wow. It's, it's like four or six hours. It's what? ridiculous. Wow. Um but yeah, I bet I bet Ric Flair in his prime could have but done a few hours. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, get a couple of screwdrivers in him, you know, get him up at two in the morning. He'd be there with the best of them. Couple more beautiful quotes. And we're getting into like the, the final stretches of the match and the crowd are like all on their feet. They're at a fever pitch. 
And when Ricky the dragon is just about, it feels like he's, he's about to get it, he screams, this man, he's fighting for every working class family in America. <laughs> and then he gets to the top rope, the dragon, will he fly tonight? <laughs> Fuck, name it. I'm getting goosebumps all over again. Like, Aww. And like when the referee gets whacked, he goes from like passion, energy to be like, oh no. Oh no, it just drops all like, yeah. you know, all your groceries have fallen out of your bag. Oh no, oh no, no, no. <laughs> no, not like this. And we go from the figure four leg lock. We think that's it. It's over. And then he gets turned over into a small package. And Jim Ross is like, can he hold him? Can he? Yes. And the match is over. What a beautiful crescendo that he mm. added. Like this match, I am convinced because it's not a move, move, move match. It's Rick and Ricky Steamboat. Like, you know, they're doing their chops and their, their arm drags and stuff. But it's like, you could watch this without commentary and kind of be like, oh yeah, it's the same kind of four or five things on a nice loop and mm. it ties up in a bow. But this man made this a story, a complex yeah. layered story. He just like, he just like ties it all together in such a neat way. Yeah. He like just puts a ribbon on it. Well, people say, oh, they're telling a story with their, their bodies in the ring. They are, but... He's telling that story as well. Yeah, he's the narrator. He's like piecing it all together for you. I'd argue, you know, I'm also I'll say that when you're there live and watching wrestling live, it's a completely different vibe. Yeah, you know, you, you can see that story obviously a lot more clearly when you're seeing them right in front of you. But in terms of watching a broadcast, I'd, I'd hazard to say you can't tell that story mm. without without that commentary or you can't tell as good a story i yeah. guess is, is 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 my thought on that so he uh, finds himself climbing up the ladder in in old crockish now wcw as well he actually becomes the head of broadcasting at one point yeah. and finds himself butting heads with a young announcer who's Here just come comes. in oh that that slithering that, in that no good weather man uh it's minnesota's most preeminent meat salesman young eric <laughs> bischoff and jim ross apparently don't get along. Well, there's a surprise. Why do you think they don't get along? Because they are totally different people who want different things. I can't <laughs> think of two. Maybe Vince Russo and Jim Ross would be more polar opposite. Yeah, like, maybe a little bit. I get that. But like, yeah, Eric Bischoff does not care for wrestling in the way that Jim Ross does. JR has always been a little bit sensitive. And I guess rightly so, because you know, wrestling is a very cosmetic business, mm. you know, and it's you know, rightly or wrongly, that's what it is. And I think that he always felt... That he was the guy who could give you the best play-by-play, the best announcing, but my job is at risk because here comes this pretty boy that they want in. He looks good oh, on the television. Oh, the thought of Eric Bischoff being a threat to Jim Ross is bizarre. But I mean, he was, you know, he was the, the, the executives liked him. The Turner guy's like, look at this young fucking stud. God. All he's I, got, I got is... I got a six-pack of lamb chops for him last week and they were <laughs> delicious. You know? Takes more to be good on commentary than a dazzling smile. I know, but I think, you know... You know, I've I think I've learned this over the years that like your own kind of insecurities about something can yeah. give a bit of power to someone else. Like I think like the young pretty boy coming to take your job, that's only really a thing because people can tell that you're threatened by this young pretty boy coming in yeah. and you have made it seem like he's gonna come and get your job, you know? You, yeah. you kinda of make that a bit more real by expressing that, I guess, or mm. people be able to tell that about you. But yeah, he soon finds his way out of the WCW because when Eric Bischoff is made the executive producer, Jim just resigns because he thinks that he's going to be buried or he's going to be, you know, thrown under the bus or whatever it is. Mm. And he makes his way over to the big time, the big leagues. 
WrestleMania 9 sees the debut of Jim Ross in the WWF, now WWE. I'm obsessed with this WrestleMania. Yeah, we gotta do this for for pay-per-view classic soon, like. Check out our Instagram for a great picture of Jim Ross in his toga. You like the toga? I love the toga. I love seeing everyone in their togas. You've got him, you've got Howard Finkel, like you just all, all these like random kind of like part of the broadcast too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And you just get to see them in these wonderful outfits. And it's just you never get that anymore. I love it, I love it, I love it. Talk <laughs> about being thrown into the deep end of like of you know, if there ever was more a palpable difference between you know, classic WCW, you know, from the early 90s and Vince McMahon's cartoon show. It's like, hey, you're going to show up on the first day of the job, you have to wear a toga and your broadcast colleague is Macho Man Randy (laughs) Savage, which Jim said was one of the hardest people he ever had to work with. I'm not surprised. Hard. Uh, And you got Bobby Heenan there as well, who like, you know, he wants to make fun of the new guy, you know. <laughs> he apparently was trying to convince him to, to go commando in the toga. He's like, oh, oh we're all we're God. all doing it, Jim. We're all... <laughs> he just is his character so much. I know, He's, right? Wow, what an arsehole. <laughs> it's, it's a... It's a... A decent enough start for him. It feels like he is going to be kind oh, of, yeah, you know... WrestleMania 9. Yeah, I mean... That's a big deal. Top guy, like, you know, he's the main play-by-play. Yeah. And Vince McMahon has kind of stepped to one side at this point because... There's impending investigations, let's just say, are, are coming up. Or, you know, Vince McMahon is, you know, thinking that maybe he just want to be the uh, the main announcer anymore. And, you know, you're following the footsteps of, like, you know, Gorilla Monsoon and stuff like that. Mm. Tony big Sh- shoes to fill. Big shoes to fill, yeah. yeah. You know, he was going to become, you know, the voice of the, the biggest wrestling company in the world. Yeah. And it doesn't last very long, unfortunately. He mm. does, you know, be the main announcer for a couple of pay-per-views. He does find himself butting heads a little bit with some of the the uppers, the, the people in the upper management of WWE, particularly Vince McMahon, who thinks that he sounds too Southern. That's such an internalized hatred of his own origins. Yes, because I I like, always forget this about him. You know that he's from uh, Southern America. Yeah, he's from North Carolina, which makes him my new favorite word, a Tarhelian. A Tarhelian. A Tarhelian. That sounds like a Star Trek word. It doesn't. It's not. It's, if you're from North Kakalaki, you're a Tarhelian, my friend. Wow. So Vince McMahon, you know, growing up in the trailer down south. Yeah, and he's very snooty about that stuff as well. So snooty. As much as he would never ever admit it you can read him like a fucking book like as if there was any mystery to this man all along like wait the man who's from the south and then went to live with his his dad in the big city in new york and hates the south because of you know his abusive stepfather Mm -hmm. and the bad times he had down there well guess what he's internalized and he hates all southern people now or doesn't hate them but just kind of he looks down his nose a bit he does yeah he thinks it's like yeah and you know what it's still an issue in america today Mm -hmm. with certain accents being seen as like not good enough. Yeah, and I, you know that happens. I mean, I'm shocked. Like in this, in this here in the UK, the extent to which that's the oh, case. It's like terrible here. You know, I mean, in Ireland, I know there's lots of different accents and all that, but there is kind of a, a felt like across Ireland there was an understanding of like, oh yes, that accent, that's from there, and that's why they speak like that. But like, you can drive 20 miles here in the UK, and someone from one town would be like, excuse me, what? Like, <laughs> excuse me, you're from Leicester City. Well, I'm from Nottingham, and I don't understand a word you're saying. I, I, I find it very, very peculiar, kind of this. I can't explain it. It's an English thing. It's an it's, English it's thing. It's just weird. We like that. And an American thing as well, I guess, to an extent. Yeah, it's real sad. But yeah, for me, Jim Ross's accent is like, it's like part of the best things about him. Like, I love his accent. It's so 
it, it brings an air of authenticity. I think especially because mm. wrestling as an art form, as an industry, has so much Southern roots. Well, that's it. And like, for me, you know, I remember thinking wrestling was this big American thing, mm. you know? you know, I, And when I would tune in, watch wrestling, and all of a sudden there's a dude in a cowboy hat talking to this cool Southern drawl. I was yeah. like, fuck yeah, America. Uh-huh. You know, I mean... My teen year, I mean, my later teen years is when I was obsessed with Japan. My early teen years is like, America, wow. Yeah. And then George Bush ruined it for boo. us all. Boo. <laughs> now, another important thing happens for Jibber around this time. He is taking a flight and he happens to meet his wife, uh, who is a air hostess at the time. Oh, you say happens to meet his wife like he wasn't introduced to her by Ric Flair. I know. I'm like, this is like such a weird ass story. Because Rick is basically like doing it, thinking that like, well, she's obviously going to want to be with me, a married man. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. Obviously, by the way, a sore point throughout his life. Yes. That she didn't pick Ric Flair over Jim Ross. If I could only get that kiss from that <laughs> other man's wife. He only wants her because he can't have her. <laughs> Pretty much, right, yeah. The only reason. <laughs> Rick, the grass is always greener. Yeah. Flair. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I don't know like a non-mean way to say this. But the way that Jim Ross, because uh, I used to read Jim Ross's blog all the time, I listened to his podcast. You know, I, you know, I was a prolific consumer of Jim Ross's stuff over the years. Yeah. And anytime he would talk about his his wife Jan, like I like he talked about it in the same vein that like boys in boarding school would talk about a fake girlfriend that they met over summer who you won't know from two towns over. It's like too good to be true. As in, yeah, like what like she's this amazing cool italian lady who's got supermodel good looks Mm -hmm. and thinks jim is the most fucking amazing passionate man they have this fucking bedrock of pure love and understanding his job is so hard Mm -hmm. he has to go like you know all over the world a really ridiculous schedule long hours she'll never said a mean word she understand implicitly what his job involved that's incredible like just that alone is like almost unheard of yeah and like not only that it's like she manages to not interfere in the world of wrestling but anyone who ever met her from the world of wrestling has nothing but lovely things to say about mm. her like she would love to like she if a wrestler was in town they'd come and stay at the house and she'd love to cook for him and stuff like that oh, and you look after nice. him yeah. like big show has told all these stories that when he was you know a rookie that she'd be you know, making him his favorite biscuits and all you know <gasps> Just like like a mother, like this fucking smoking hot babe that Jim Ross gets to go home to every night. It's like genuinely one of the sweetest relationships in wrestling and like non-toxic. A rarity. Yeah. I think we could we could definitely say about that. It's Jim's third wife, I should mention. Oh, this is his third wife. His third wife. Oh. And the reason I mentioned that is I've read two autobiographies and consumed all that other material. The man has never spoken more than two words about his other two wives. That's probably for the best. Yeah, um, all I know is, I mean, he's had kids with these other these other women as well. Like, you Even know. more reason to shut your mouth, really, about that stuff. If they're ex-wives, yeah. yeah. And I think in the extent of it that he mentioned in his book was just that, you know, they didn't get along. There was, like, a brief period, you know, before he was interested full-time where he, like, kind of, like, right, I'll try to be a normal person. He took over, like, his grandmother owned, like, a department store. He took that over and ran it, like, for, you know, a year. And he was just miserable doing it. And he mm. broke up from his partner. So, you know... Yeah, but he mentioned you a few times, him and Jerry on commentary would be like, oh man, we've got so many ex-wives. Like, ha ha ha, divorce sucks. <laughs> you know, dig into that. Vince McMahon decides, you know, around this time as well, that a bit too Southern, don't like that as my, my vibe. I think it makes my uh, my company look like it's wrestling and not sports entertainment. So Jim is pretty much uh, demoted quickly and he becomes the main voice for Radio WWF, which was something that he thought, again, he was always a big proponent of radio. Yeah. 
and he thought that was a way that maybe WWF could get into other markets was from radio. I mean, I think that's a great idea. Oh yeah, it is a great idea. I mean, I would have loved to, like, back in the day, driving in a car and listening to the pay-per-view on radio. Yeah, yeah that's genius. That would definitely work, but, you know, it didn't really take off. And, you know, around this time, some really, really horrible happens to Jim here. And it's the first of a few times this happens. And it is, you know, regrettably, like, kind of a big part of, of, of what he's been through. Yeah. Which is that he gets his first bout with Bell's palsy. Mm. Which is a condition that results in sometimes total, but at least you know, partial paralysis of the face. Right. Which obviously makes doing a job as a broadcaster or an announcer you know, very, very difficult. Yeah, I can, I can only imagine. And Vince McMahon, in his infinite grace and sympathy for this horrible condition that's happened later, less than a year into Jim's run here, uh, he fires him. Fuck off. Because he's not telegenic enough i guess what? as in looks bad on tv doesn't look good don't want that on my show you're fired fuck off that's so fucking cruel that's so cruel i mean do you know much about bell's palsy as a you know as a condition i mean not much my brother had a bout of bell's palsy Did he? Yeah, yeah he got partial facial paralysis yeah and yeah, he's fine now. He was lucky because it sometimes with Bell's palsy it can go away after a few weeks, and sometimes it can be like last forever. I mean, it's it's quite a. I mean, I can't think of a better word, but it's kind of quite a mysterious illness in many respects. That yeah, no one knows what causes it. How and why it comes. I mean, there are things that are believed that can trigger it. Yeah, I like think there's stress. A, there's a there's a belief that you know some, some factors can make you more predisposed to yeah. it. But um, yeah, it's. I mean, I reached out to Billy Keeble from the Attitude podcast because you know over on that show. Jim Ross and his Bell's palsy, you know, that, that had come up in the course of, of us reviewing those original pay-per-views. Billy actually had had a bout of Bell's palsy himself. Right, yeah. So, you know, I reached out and asked you if you you know, okay with, with maybe sharing his experience. So he sent us in a, a little, just a little kind of, uh, uh, a little short description of, of what it was like. Right. For those of you who maybe have heard, you know, Jim Ross has had this, you've heard about it, but you don't really know much about it. So, uh, right, so Billy says here, I'll preface this by saying that my bout with Bell's palsy was much less severe than JR's. My first bout occurred when I was around eight or nine, when I woke up one morning and that right side of my face was completely paralyzed. Paralyzed. Oh, bless him. This lasted for approximately six months. The cause of it is still unknown in the medical community, with theories including a link to the herpes virus, as well as inflammation of certain nerves in the cranium. I'm sure it'll be no surprise to anyone that an eight-year-old who looked like a cartoon dog Droopy was the source of intense bullying, not oh. only from other children, but also teachers. Oh my god. I once got told off by my teacher for pulling a funny face at her, despite not Jesus knowing... Christ! That is so cruel. That is so insensitive. This was despite her knowing about this condition that I had. I need to make a time machine to go back in time and rescue Billy Keeble. I know, from these right? Terrible people. So horrible. My particular bout included the inability to close my right eye without the use of my hand, and I required surgical tape to keep my eyes closed when I was sleeping, along oh. with the disabling of my tear ducts requiring eye drops every hour, as well as a completely lopsided smile which caused excessive drooling out of that side of my mouth and having to talk only with the left side of my mouth. I was able to get over it eventually due to the quick action of my parents, and I started a course of cortical steroids. After the first bout of Bell's palsy, I didn't experience it again until university, where several factors include immense stress and depression caused it to come back for over a month. Ever since then, however, I will wake up approximately once every few months and find it's back and I'm required to do facial exercises to what? fix it. These bouts have all only lasted at most two or three days. Another trigger for it are depressants, such as alcohol, which can lead to my face drooping over an evening. 
As for J.R., he seems to have never gotten over the initial bout of Bell's palsy, and this is most likely due to him not seeking medical help quick enough, as doctors have found that any treatment started after the first 72 hours of symptoms are likely to be less effective. Right. Like J.R., however, and like I've mentioned earlier, it gets worse under stress, and I can only imagine how stressed it is working at times yeah. in the positions he had in the WWF and WWE. I do know one of J.R.'s worst bouts when the symptoms were excessively worse was shortly after the death of his mother so i want to thank billy there for, for sharing something there in depth yeah, that is seriously. you know i think just putting in there like hearing it from him there because you know someone i know or whatever and maybe someone that you're familiar with it just kind of puts across like the fear there yeah because jim ross has never been someone where he's like fuck me this was scary and this was hard like i can't imagine how scary it must be as well within those first few hours of of it happening because it's the same symptoms as a stroke yeah and you have to you have to deal with it in the same way in that you have to assume the like the worst and get immediate medical attention. Yeah, it's it's that's it's, terrifying for anyone. Yeah, and that's the type of thing like where I can't think of a worse condition to happen to someone the position they have mm. a broadcaster. Yeah. In the industry they have, yeah. which is wrestling, yeah. and in the company they have with the boss they have, which is WWF at the time. Uh, yeah, and also yeah, at the time. Like, I know. That's a very cruel period of time with a oh, lot yeah. of insensitivity and ableism. I mean, and... I will say, like, I know, I knew about Bell's palsy. Because, like, you know, uh, someone I knew in university had happened to them as well. Yeah. And, like, I knew about it just because, like, well, I know about Bell's palsy just because of... Jim Ross. Because of Jim Ross, yeah. like, you know? So, I mean, it was a, it, it raised awareness there. In, in that sense yeah so yeah very sensitive Vince nice man lovely man fires him two weeks after this bout I know it's it's again Vince McMahon and, and sickness illness yeah, weak, a... weakness as he likes to think Freak. of it I guess but what I find as well about very insensitive about that is that Vince then immediately takes over his job on commentary it's just like just oh, do it the way he wants it to be done I guess yeah, he yeah, is. Until, by the way. Yeah, until. Until he gets involved in the steroid trial, which yeah. suddenly means. Oh, we need someone back. Yeah. Right? I mean, this is the point as well where you'd be thinking, like, Jim Ross, like, not just as a broadcaster, but the experience that he had, you know, working, you know, in creative, you know, he was part of booking meetings in WCW and in, you know, UWF and Mid South with Bill Watts. Like, he's a creative guy. Like, he's yeah. someone who knows a lot of, like, the, you know, what works and what doesn't work, mm-hmm. you know, in wrestling in America. He'd be someone you'd want to have around, even if you think that he's not, you know, the right look for your TV show at this point. But yeah, needs must and Vince McMahon, you know, having to loosen the reins a little bit because he's under federal indictment for a steroid trial. Then he comes crawling back like a, no, I'm not going to say like a worm because I like worms and worms are useful. They're good for the environment. But if I turned into a worm and I came crawling back, would you still podcast with me, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the audacity to fire him when he's going through something so frightening. Yeah. And then replace him yourself and then ask for him to come back when you're like involved in a legal case. Like that's so scummy. Vince McMahon, you piece of shit. Well, Vince McMahon, you know, he gets he gets acquitted. He comes back and Jim Ross is fired again. For fuck's sake! Now, no. now there's there's something we should mention I hate about this. Him so much. This firing, I hate him so much. This firing here that we should mention, right? This one came because allegedly someone was leaking to the dirt sheets, and this person was almost definitely Jim Ross. Good for him. And Jr. was a bit pissed off about his position in the company and how he's been treated, so we started leaking stuff to dirt sheets. And you know, I guess the. <laughs> The problem about this, though, is that because... You know, we mentioned earlier as well, that mindset that Jim has mm. 
you know, when he did his Hall of Fame speech, he was like, I was stupid, I got fired, and I was stupid again, and I got fired. My, on me, that's all on me. Wait, what was he stupid for doing the first time? I think because of, you know, how he handled things. How he reacted to things, you know? How, uh, you know, how he got upset. Maybe how he, how he spoke to people. It, this kind of, like, this man's man shit of, like... Uh, all right, uh, you know, I'll admit it. I, I'm wrong, hundred percent. I taking I'll take... responsibility for like too much stuff. That's what John Wayne would have done. I guess so. You know, and I think back on the saddle. Yeah, they bring him back again, and this time you you saw this. This was um this was the first time that he was used as a character. You know, in inverted commas, you know, on screen, not just you know, someone you know as a broadcaster asking questions or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, he would have gotten you know, roughed up a little bit in WCW or whatever. This is like him as a as a character. He comes out, and this is during like 1996 or thereabouts, where they're getting their ass kicked in the ratings at this point in time. You know, WCW is killing them. They're losing people. Kevin Nash, Diesel, he's gone. Razor Ramon, Scott Hall, he's gone. And Jim Ross comes out and he's like, you guys wondering like why all your favorites have been disappearing here recently? And this is played into all the controversies with Jim. He's like, it's been me. I've been the person who's been make- making everyone leave here. I've been leaking all the contracts because I'm Dirty Jim Ross and I'm, I and I leak everything. And they haven't cut this promo where it's meant to be a... This is meant to be a heel promo. Right. Where he's like, I got Bell's palsy and I got sick and I couldn't, you know, open up the left side of my face properly and I couldn't smile anymore. I can't believe that's supposed to be a heel and promo. And that heartless bastard Vincent man fired me. And everyone's like, no, not poor Vince. Leave him alone. Yeah, Jim, right. you don't understand. You were too Southern and not telegenic <laughs> enough. It's obviously was your fault. And, they did, and the only reason why the end people end up booing him is because the payoff of this angle is him. He's like, and I'm going to bring back all your favourites like Diesel and like Razor. And that's when they bring the thing, back... To be clear, they aren't booing him at this like no. before this people they, are like fuck yeah they're like Jim. cheering and stuff quite right as tell, well <laughs> tell it like it is people only start booing when the payoff of this angle is him bringing back diesel in inverted commas and razor ramon in inverted commas i think on both of those episodes we did for for nash and hall we mentioned yeah. how vince tried to replace them with the ip you yeah. know like ah you know no one cares about you they care about the characters yeah it turns out that wasn't the case so nope first jim ross heel turn off we go. And I can't think of a more concise, like, why is Vince McMahon so shit? Yeah. And why is the wrestling business so shit? Yeah. As Bell's palsy, fired, you're back, fired again. Let's bring him back and let's make an angle out of it and do something really insulting to the fans. So fucking weird. I kind of feel like you deserve to be beaten by Eric Bischoff at this yeah, point. Absolutely. Like, you know? <laughs> absolutely. They're running circles around you in that other yeah. show. Fucking hell. But he's brought back again. Mm. On, he's a third man on the commentary booth now. So it's going to be Vince McMahon, King, and Jim Ross there to give a little bit of Southern sizzle. And this is when Vince says, you know what you should do, Jim? Let's lean into this. Let's put that cowboy hat on you. Black Stetson. And we'll call you good old JR. Not Jim Ross, you're good old JR. So that wasn't Jim's idea? No, Jim hated it. What? Yeah, making me a fucking parody, a caricature. I mean, think about it, though. Like, if you're kind of like... You know, you're, you're a southern guy. You've gotten shit from the, the boss you because yeah. you're too southern. And he's like, right, we'll bring you back. But I want you to wear the cowboy hat. And you're a cowboy man right. now. And good old JR. Like, it's weird saying good old JR and it did not be like, yeah, good old JR. Yeah. Awesome. But like at the time for him, it's like, I'm, I'm Jim Ross. I'm, a, I'm not a parody. I'm a, right, I'm, yeah. an, I'm a sportscaster. I'm not kind of 
character. You got the, the lad in the, the crown and the lad in the fucking the cowboy hat, like, you know? I see. Hey, speaking of the lad in the crown, how come he never got beef with Vince for being too Southern? I guess because Jerry's a wrestler and he was such a big draw and a star. Mm. I think that's... He Vince gets, wouldn't dare. That's what it comes down to. I think Vince is much more confident in... I mean... When we've talked about writers and we've talked about producers and backstage people on this show and how Vince treats them and then we talk about the wrestlers. Yeah. The wrestlers, yes, he's had toxic relationships with, he's fucking treated them like shit, but we always invariably talk about like, oh, father figure stuff and That's manipulation. True. Whereas straight up bullying. Yeah. He does that to the other people, yeah. He does. He expects ridiculous things from the writers and the producers and the, the announcers. Mm-hmm. I think in the Foley episode, we talked about how he speaks in the headsets. Yeah. Jim, Jim has like developed this point quite a thick skin, I think you can imagine. Oh, yeah. And also, I think they have this air of kind of, you should be grateful for your job now. Wow. We fired you twice, so we can do it again, like, you know? <sighs> but this, you know, segues then from, it's, you know, it's the three of them, and then it's, you know, Tim and Vince and King, and then it's, you know, him and Vince and Kevin Kelly, and then it's just him and King. That becomes the, the kind of, we're in 97. Right. That becomes the, the duo that sticks. And they were together as an team for around four years at that point. The, th- the full run of the Attitude Era, basically. Right. And that's, I think, the iconic deal that everyone remembers. Yeah. Jerry and Jim together. I mean, how are they as a duo? Do you like them? Do they? Th- I mean, I've always, for me, that's what I grew up with. So they're always going to be my kind of my main guys or whatever, I guess. I can never get behind it because of Jerry Lawler. I fucking hate him. I hate him. And I don't even think he's good at his job. That's the thing. It's not just like, oh, go away heat. And I hate him as a person because of everything he did. Because he did a lot of shit, by the way. You can Google it <laughs> until we do the episode. <laughs> but I also don't think he's a very good commentator. Like, I think he can have his moments depending on who is in the ring. But if there's a woman, and pretty much, like, not just women as well. He's like this with certain other people as well. Mm. He just, like, doesn't know how to work. He literally just doesn't do his job anymore. I think he's very good at advertising. I think the ad slots Jerry Lawler is very good at. (laughs) But I think that's honestly, that's, like, as far as that goes. And I think think he brings Jim Ross down. I I think considering how iconic they are just shows how amazing JR really is. I I think, you know... I don't agree with you in, in your... You yeah. Know, I, I always have, like, there's, there's certain things I think that King does. I mean, I agree with you broad strokes about the things you don't like about him. Yeah, everyone agrees he's a shit heel when it comes to women. But I feel like there's, there's a part of me, like, I have this fucking soft spot for the heel commentator. Nah, and I mean. feel like, you know, I feel like he, he's able to bring that out of JR. You know, there was times during the Attitude Era where he'd just be like, kind of like, Vince McMahon, he's so great. I love everything he's doing. And Jim would be like, how could you say that, you corporate ass kisser? Like he'd get, you know, and Paul Heyman always said, you want to get the best out of JR? Piss him off. Yeah. Because he lets himself be, I agree with that. But I just don't think Jerry Lawler is the only person who could do that job. Like, I think Bobby Heenan did that just as well, if not a hundred times better. I mean, for me, Paul Heyman and Jim Ross, that is the God tier. That's God tier, yeah. You know, we watched a few clips of like, they would like literally like stop the action in the ring and they turn, they look to the two of them, they'd be throwing their stuff down. Like, come on, you want to fight me, hillbilly boy? Like, they'd fucking get each other's throats. Just like, no one had, like, Heyman knew how to wind him up and JR, it's like... It's like all the best wrestlers who are like kind of act like it's real. Let the real yeah. emotion come out. And he lets himself get into that state where he gets so wound up about, you know, yeah. and that's what made it so you know passionate. The thing about King, though, that surprised me from reading his book. And you mentioned you know, he 
makes Jim kind of like it shows you how good he is. Mm. Jerry is like the master of not prepping at all. Mm, you know, I don't say Jim, Jim didn't mm. want to. No, as in like he did fuck all. Yeah, I right? know. Right? I don't, <laughs> don't consider that masterful at all. You know, Jim didn't want to know the finishes of the matches, but in terms of like formats, what's going to happen on the show, you know, what's next, all that. Jim would have all that, and King would just kind of sit down. He'd be like, you know, he wouldn't go to the production meetings. And be like, what are, what are we doing tonight? He just kind of. No wonder he's so shit then. He'd wing it. Yeah, but I, I can tell. <laughs> I think that. Made Jim raise his game, and yeah. I think Jim liked that. I think Jim liked the fact that the guy beside him wasn't going to try and step over him. He was just going to kind yeah. of do the bare minimum or whatever. No, I have, I have no doubts in my mind that Jim Ross loved working with Jerry Lawler. Yeah, and I think if you were to ask Jim who his favorite commentary tag team partner would be, it would be Lawler. I think it's because for him, it's like it's the iconic deal. Yeah, it's it's the, the one that people duo, yeah. people remember, you know. And like I remember them interviewing them in like 1999, 2000, being like, "Yeah, we'll be doing this, you know, till we're 100 with long grey beards." I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, you will." Like it kind of made the fans think that. I want to go through a couple of Jorisms on commentary here, okay. uh, if if you know what any of them are <laughs> and what they mean. Uh, Jezebel, Joe. Yeah, I'm familiar with Jezebel. Are you? Why mm. Why are you familiar with Jezebel? Reading your Bible recently, have you? No, I'm just aware of the term. Where would you have heard Jezebel? <laughs> uh, I mean, wrestling, definitely. But it's just one of those words that, like, sometimes gets thrown at women by old, like, old men say it to young women all the time. Have you ever been called a Jezebel? Yeah, I've been called a Jezebel. You've been called Many a Jezebel. Times. I'm pretty sure my own dad has called me a Jezebel. Oh, was that because you hit him with a loaded Gucci purse or something like that? Damn Jezebel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but have I ever called you a Jezebel in jest? I don't know. You might have done. You, yeah. You're allowed to. I'm allowed to call you. Jezebel. Yeah. Uh, fun story about Jezebel. It, it, it's a word that was used in the Bible to describe like a ne'er do well woman. You know, a woman who had uh, you know no virtue, had done something evil or whatever it was. And I, I know this because one of my first classes in religion, like the word you know, in secondary school in a Catholic school, the word Jezebel came up, and I was like, ah, yes. Uh, I got raised like I know what that means, and I was like, ah. <laughs> And I, I got pegged early on as being like this kind of like a kid with a knack for theology. Cause, wow. Because Jim Ross had been like, there's a woman, she's a Jezebel. Mm-hmm. I mean, any women do you think Jim Ross would have referred to as a Jezebel All back in the them. day? All of them. All of them. Not, not everyone. Not everyone's a Jezebel. Linda, not a Jezebel. Linda wasn't a Jezebel. Yeah, she's, no. not, she's not sexy enough. To be a Jezebel, you have to be sexy. Yeah, but there's been sexy ladies who weren't called Jezebels. Like who? I don't think he ever called Sable a Jezebel. What? Yeah. She was only briefly healed when he would have been been running uh, commentary, but I'm pretty sure he never called her Jezebel. The thing is, though, with Jim Ross, they don't have to be healed. He's called face women Jezebels before. No. I'm pretty sure. No. No way. Have you got an instance of that? Not off the top of my head. I, I don't take notes, but I am pretty sure. Pretty sure? Mm, I know I'm he confident. used to call Stephanie a Jezebel all the time. Yeah, obviously. She prime target, but she, you know, when she was like... You know, evil, young, heel, Stephanie. I think if you're a younger woman as well, that makes you even more of a Jezebel. That's what I said. Yeah. Uh, so, Stephanie, Trish would have been called a Jezebel. Yeah, obviously. Although, Michael Cole used to call Trish Stratus a witch instead. Oh, really? That witch, Trish Stratus. Is one better than the other or worse than the other? They're different. I think Jezebel is worse. Yeah. Tori used to get called a Jezebel a lot. Mm. Terry Runnels used to get called a Jezebel a lot. Right. <laughs> Basically, yeah, I'd say a good... 80% of the women on screen back in the day would have been called a Jezebel at mm. some point or another. I think it's one that's been retired to the history books Good. now. Good. It can you know. fuck off. Tougher than a $2 steak. I love that one. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. I fucking... I mean, do you know what that one means? Yeah, obviously. Have you ever had a $2 steak? No. no? Well, there was a time me and my friends threw a steak party and we went to Morrison's and we all bought really cheap steaks. 
to cook. Because it's a party, baby. Because it's a steak party. And we all cooked something like six steaks each. What the fuck, Joe? And they only cost like eight quid for a pack. So it was like, it, they probably did work out as $2 steaks. Fucking neon red steaks, like so bright, like, you know. Yeah, as if we cooked them that well. <laughs> no, I meant that I didn't think there'd be any marbling or dry aging oh, yeah, on those steaks. That. So it is. Yeah. They were tough steaks. They were fine. Yeah. We were students. Interesting. Novelty to eat a steak. Is there any wrestler that you would say confidently you think is tougher than a $2 steak? Taz. Taz, tougher than a $2 steak? Yeah, definitely. Ken Shamrock. Yeah, anyone, anyone who can kind of like a no-sell a, a, a neck injury. Sherry, yeah. Mar- Sherry Martell is tougher than yeah. a $2 steak. And I think she would have called her a Jezebel as well. Rare yeah, you get both. Probably. Very rare you get both, you know. <laughs> it's a twofer there, you know. Uh, yeah, anyone who can legitimately fight, I okay. think, is tougher than a $2 steak. This match is got bowling shoe tendencies. I have no idea what that means. It means it's ugly. Okay. Or, what or does a that bad mean? match. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, bad match. Because bowling shoes are ugly. Allegedly. Why, why is it okay to say on commentary that something is a bad match? That's the thing, right? And, you know, this is someone who has still has great nostalgia for Jim Ross, but also has the confidence of having done all these pay-per-views with him where he just says, like, if there's a match and it's like, oh, that's not a great match, he'll be like, don't break out the star rating for this one, folks. Wow. Or this match maybe, or like the worst one he would do, big like two women are going to have like kind of, you know, a playboy pillow fight or, you know, they're going to have a match that's like, all right, it's going to be a crap match. Yeah. And he'll be like, well, this one's going to have bowling shoe, ugly tendencies. You know, he, he'll say it beforehand. It's like, this is going to suck, basically. Wow, okay. It's like his coded language to say at home, like, I know good wrestling and this ain't it. Right. And I just think, why would you ever say that on commentary? Something on your show was bad. It's one thing for him to say it. It's another thing for him to be allowed to say it. I'm amazed he didn't immediately get screamed at by Vince McMahon. Yeah, I know. I know. That's interesting, right? Because it's quite unprofessional. Like, I I actually quite like the idea of being able to say as a commentator, nah, this match, I don't like it. Because I think (laughs) as a commentator, you should be allowed to have opinions. Yeah. Not the same as burying, I think. But like that's the thing though. Every 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 burial began as an opinion at one yeah. point, didn't it? Like, but that's the thing. Like as a producer or a promoter, they need to shut that shit down. I'm sure mm. from their perspective, because there's always going to be people out there who like the shit matches. Okay, we're going to get into a couple of controversial ones here now. Okay, he's beating him like a government mule. I don't really know what that means either. This is uh, coming back from, I believe it's the post-slavery era. This okay. would have happened where if you know uh, slaves were emancipated were in certain states entitled to, you're going to get like a, a plot of land and you're going to get a mule as well. So you can become farmers and start tilling the great land. This is, you know, during a quite a, quite a, a trying time in America, let's just say. And the idea was that, you know, a lot of these you know, former slaves were given like patches of dust and dirt, like, you know, crap, like really hard to turn it into a farm. Yeah. And you only had the mule, so the mule got hit all the time and, you know, worked really hard. So, hence getting beaten like a government mule okay so that's where that comes from right <laughs> makes you think about old farmers yeah. being sold a shoddy american dream it's quite a dark one actually in its, it's own very right. dark yeah uh, how about this one he's goofier than a pet coon no idea i mean yeah. goofy obviously means yeah goofy this one stopped because i mean i used to hear that and be like that's a slur. That's what I always thought was a slur, but is it not also an animal? Is that what he means? But like, is it one of those like dog whistle things where it's like, well, you say it's an animal, but it really means it's a slur. Well, yeah, I used to ever hear that being like, whoa, hang on a second there. Like, that's, that is, that is, that that's a racist thing, right? You know? And then he did a post in his vlog once where he's like, 
look, that's not what it is. What it comes from is in Oklahoma, sometimes when you'd be bored, you'd capture a live raccoon and try and keep it as a pet. But because... <laughs> What? <laughs> but because it's a wild animal and it doesn't want to be kept in as a pet, it would start scratching at you and going crazy. Hence, crazy or goofy as a pet coon. Okay, well, just use the full word. Just yeah. say raccoon. You're not saving much time by yeah. dropping that syllable. Just, just invoking, like, it's a Pokemon, Jim. Like, you know, it doesn't work like that one. And uh, probably one of the most important ones, a slobber knocker. Yeah, I know a slobber knocker. What's a slobber knocker? If I say, wait, we're going to match here tonight, it's going to be a slobber knocker. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but I know what it means. Okay, like, how about this thing? Could you tell me a match? Could you book a match for me that you're like, this is going to be a slobber knocker? Okay. Um, JBL <laughs> versus Vader. Oh, Joe. That's how you fantasy book. That is a, that's a slobber knocker. Congratulations. Right? Thank you. I do understand it, but yeah, I, I couldn't, I don't know how to, dis- I wouldn't know the definition or how to describe it to someone else. I mean, it would be basically when Michael Cole says that match is going to be physical. You know, it's uh, is it because I always think physical means boring. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Michael Cole always sells you the false bill of goods. Yeah. You know, with, with physical. I it's, imagine it meaning kind of like a bit rough and ready, a bit yeah. sloppy. Yeah, but not bad. Like fun, definitely. Hard also, hitting. Yeah, hard hitting. High impact. But not neat. Like I wouldn't say anything with Bret Hart would ever be a slobber knocker. But that's the thing as well. You know, you, you would. Pick out ones like often if it's someone like you know, a heavyweight like a Vader or someone like that or a big show it's going to be a slobber knocker a Kane or Undertaker he'd say slobber knocker but there'd be times as well where it's just like it's a big match like a rock and stone cold it's going to be a slobber knocker because it's just a big exciting right. match and it became kind of the word that Jero would use to promote a match where it originally comes from is uh, back in the football days back when he was watching as a kid one of the announcers would say like when you got hit so bad and this is before they had pads and helmets <laughs> You imagine the fucking head trauma. I do not want to imagine when the head someone trauma. someone gets hit so hard the goo comes out of their mouth. Ew. That hit would be referred to as a slobber knocker. That's always what I thought it came from, but I just yeah. I just made that up. So it's good to know my imagination is accurate. It is. It's very accurate. You're in the Jim Ross wavelength there. Yeah. Hey, we got a slobber knocker of a match that we watched with Jr. commentating. Many of you said this was one of his greatest calls of all time. We looked at Hell in the Cell 1998. Oh, we've come full circle. We've come full circle. Uh, we recreated our first date and everything. We watched Hell in the Cell, and then I went out and broke some patio furniture afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> we need to record this in bed. I think that's, that would. That's make where it... I watched this match for the first is. time. Was, yeah. I think breakfast in bed, watching Hell in the Cell. It's romantic, right? Very romantic. Very romantic. Jim Ross, I think, is at the peak of his of his descriptive powers here. Mm. You know, the voice a little bit. We're in nineteen ninety eight now. The voice a little bit different, a little bit deeper. I think. Yeah. But there's um, there's a richness to his voice. It's like fuck. It's I don't know what it is. It's like when people talk about the kind of the the rich honey molasses. Molasses. I was gonna say molasses. Yeah. You know, he's obviously not the same type of voice, but it's what it's what Benoit Blanc has got in in Knives yeah. Out. There's a certain warmth yeah, to the voice. Yeah, a trickly kind of richness. I, I, I really was was taken aback by the poetry again in this one. Mm. On this hot summer night, there is a chill in the air that signifies the arrival of the phenom of the World Wrestling Federation. Holy shit. That's amazing. You can't do much better than describing The Undertaker than that. And the thing about this match, you know, Mankind and Undertaker in Hell in the Cell, I mean, you don't need us to tell you, that's a match that involves some pretty crazy uh, antics that go yeah. on. Hearing him get worried on commentary, it's a very emotive thing. He gets worried, I get worried. Yeah. When they're up on top of a cell going, 
I don't like this a damn bit, folks. I'm like, fuck yeah, I don't like this a damn bit either, <laughs> you know? <laughs> there's a way he describes that when the Undertaker climbs on top of the cell, which is, there's nothing between the Undertaker and a concrete floor than imagination. Oh, fucking <laughs> Imagination. Yeah. There's another one that he uses here as well, like, and this is, I think, er- early enough after, you know, this match, I think we get like 60 seconds in and Mick Foley takes the famous fall off the hell in the cell. Yeah. And we get the, you know, with God as my witness, he's broken in half, which is, you know, he would, he said that quite a few times over the years, but I think that's the, the point where it's always like, that's, that's the iconic call or whatever yeah. it is. He then starts talking about one of his classic words, which is, oh, they say at home, you know, they learn how to fall. You know, this is like, this is quite a contentious one with folks, you know, back in the day, he used to say this all the time. He still does it in AEW. Do you I mean, him talking about people at home being like, kind of like, oh, wrestling's fake, you know? But he'd be like, how the hell they learn how to fall off the hell in the cell or a 15-foot ladder or whatever it is. He's right. I mean, I do like that, you know? I think that he's right to kind of, you know, when I was a kid listening to that, I'd be like, yeah, fuck the haters who, like, think wrestling's fake. It's not. It's real, like, in that sense, Mm -hmm. you know? And the thing about this is around this time as well is that, you know, he is the head of talent relations by this point, so... There's this extra level of care because he's yeah. like meant to be in charge looking after these guys, I guess, for and lack of a better term. And he signed Mick as well, didn't he? He signed Mick. Yeah. I don't know how what goes through your head when you're like, you know, that's that's as real emotion as it gets. Yeah. The concern is real there. And like, even if he hadn't signed Mick, the thought of like, like the only thing I can compare it to is our live shows, but like the thought of something going wrong during when you're performing in front of a live audience and you have to keep professional, you have to keep going. Like, luckily, nothing has ever gone wrong at any of our live shows. No, I've managed to not fall off the hell in the cell <laughs> yet, but I insist it's set up at the London Podcast Festival every year, just in case, you know? But it's so impressive to be able to continue that level of professional authority while you are genuinely concerned that, like, you know, because you have to have complete, con- like, narrative control in a way of yeah. the match. Yeah. And you have to kind of speak in a way where. It's going to look good no matter if the person involved is dead. Because Jerry, Jerry at one point in this match is like, yeah. He literally says, he goes, that's it. He's dead. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. <laughs> great, great work, fucking, Jerry. Imagine if he was like, I fucking know, hell. I know. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. There's kind of, there's a compassion in his voice, mm-hmm. but he's not taken away from the spectacle. Yeah. You know, and it's his ability to shift those modes. When you have him being taken away, mankind on the stretcher and Jim Ross is like, at one point, he's like, he's apologizing to you because you didn't want, you know, this isn't the event that we wanted to give you. Mm. He's like, he's despondent because someone has been hurt so bad. He's upset, you know, because all, you know, people don't talk about, you know, the Spanish announcers got like knocked out, like, you know, when he went through, there's all this chaos around him. And then the second Mick Foley gets off that stretcher, all of a second, he's like, hey, wait a minute now. And then we, we start slowly shifting gears. How the hell's he still standing? What's he doing? He starts climbing up the cell and all of a sudden, like, here, it's like he's conducting yeah, the audience. That's so accurate. And the fact that the audience can't hear him. I know. That that blew my, when I first went to live wrestling, it blew my mind I that know. you couldn't hear it. Yeah. I was like, wait, what? I'm not going to hear them talking? Yeah. And like, all, I think it's because of Jim Ross all the time. I thought like they're hearing that and going, yeah, yeah. how's he still standing? But he just, he's like a conductor, yeah. but he's not in control of them. No. He, he's reacting to them almost. And it's very similar actually to the way really good old school and indie wrestlers will conduct a match themselves by feeding off the audience. Yeah. And really good wrestlers will do that. They'll 
anticipate how the audience is reacting and respond to that accordingly by like, you know, stamping in the ring, clapping their hands, yeah. doing certain moves or tags. And Jim Ross does, it's the exact same thing, but it's the audio equivalent. Yeah, that's it. He is, you know, he's obviously got Vince McMahon screaming in one ear. And how do you do that with that as well at the same yeah. time? I know, right? <laughs> but he's also got another ear on the audience and their reactions. And then also paying full attention to what's happening in the ring and coming up with things to say at the same time. That's juggling so many balls. I know. I mean, and then also, oh no, the match has gone wrong and the guy I hired might be dead. Yeah, there's the personal element of it as well. I mean, I think the more that, you know, on this podcast, when we, you know, we try to learn more about the commentary and the, the process behind that, the more and more I think that it's like, you know, I used to be someone who'd shit on announcers all the time. If they were bad, I'm like, fuck you, fuck that. He's yeah. awful. Bring back Jim Ross. But I'm like, you know what? With all that shit going on, particularly in the period of time where you had Vince McMahon in your ear, yes. if you could even do that job yeah. at all and not burst into tears, I couldn't. Like, no way. you deserve an award. Yes, alone doing it well. Yes, alone doing it really, really well. Yeah. You know, that is almost like the fact that he makes it seem easy as well. Mm. You know, he makes it seem effortless. He's not self-conscious, I think. I think that's a big part of it. It feels like he's like, he's not, he, like there's a part in this match where he literally, he gets so flustered about what happens. He just, he just goes, he literally goes, geez, gap, don't it. Like <laughs> he just splutters out a word. Yeah. And I think if I, you know, if I was doing commentary, I'd do that. I'd be like, Jesus fucking Christ, <laughs> what did you do? I'd be thinking about that for the rest of the match. Like, you know, and he's just like, no, that's what happened. Thumbtacks came out. This yeah. guy went into it like a pin cushion. Keyboard smash. You know, like there's little bits in the match. Like when mankind is like smart, he's not smiling. He's trying to, you know, show there's a hole in his yeah. tooth. And he just like, he gives us this new layer all of a sudden where it's like, it's not sympathy about mankind. Now he's perturbed. It's like disturbing. This guy's smiling. Yeah. What the fuck am I seeing here? Yeah. You know? Oh my God almighty. What I found really impressive was that when mankind goes through the ceiling of the hell in the cell and his tooth goes through his lip and up into his nose, Jerry Lawler, professional wrestler, you know, has been in legitimate fights. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. He has no idea what's going on. He doesn't know what the fuck that is in Mick Foley's nose. But Jim Ross immediately is like, that's his tooth. His tooth has gone through his lip and into his nose. And that's amazing. Like, Mick Foley himself didn't know that is what happened. Like, that's why he's smiling is because as far as he's concerned, he's just showing you a gap in his mouth. He doesn't realize his tooth is up his nose. He just puts that level of thought in. It's like, okay, so this has happened. And now that has happened, which means this. I just think it's very interesting that he's someone from that old school who ha- believes these things to, that have to be true about wrestling. And mm-hmm. he is now operating in an environment where it's like Vince Russo is the head writer. Vince McMahon has got this vision. Wrestling is, you know, somewhere between uh, uh, like, you know, something crazy you'd see on the news, like cops or something like that. And like Jerry Springer and a, a violent cartoon and like, you know, South Park. It's crude. It's, it's all these things that wrestling shouldn't be. And it, you got this guy here who's holding on to like, treating it the way that Bill Watts would have wanted to be treated back in the, the, the 70s and the 80s, where it's real and he's constantly making you aware of the sacrifice and the brutality and, like, you at home, you you don't understand what they're going through here. When this match ends and he says, in 25 years, I've never witnessed anything like this. These two men have given you everything in their bodies they gave of you their souls tonight. And these people in Pittsburgh, they are standing and cheering for the effort and the desire. Aww, I'm literally giving myself goosebumps. 
And I just want to say, I don't know if I'd have their appreciation and respect for, for what wrestlers have been through had it not been that this man was maybe the, the narrator that I had all these years growing up. Mm. Because I knew a lot of kids who watched wrestling who maybe didn't pay as much attention to JR and they were just like, yeah! <laughs> Get him up there on the cell and throw him off again! Whereas I'd be like, oh my God, Mick, no! You know, and I think that for the wrestlers, they want the spectacle to be put over. But I think a lot of wrestlers are probably more than a bit appreciative that that side of it was, you know, there's a part, there's a way this hand cell could have been put over where it's like, you know, like ECW, like fucking, oh my God, this is the wildest thing. Call everyone, tell them what you've just seen. And Jim Ross is almost like somewhere between an awards ceremony and a funeral here at the end mm. of this one. This is a sad thing that you've seen. Yeah. But fucking hell. Let's hand it to these guys for giving it to you. Like, mm-hmm. that's amazing. That's, and I think, you know, maybe one part of, the best. of that as well comes from the fact that he did this talent relations yeah. side of things where he is, he's kind of like, you know, maybe not friends necessarily with the whole roster, but he does have that kind of like personal working relationship where he does know them all one to one. He's having these chats with them, he's getting to know them. Just think about how hard that is as yeah. well for a second. In his book, he describes like, a typical day at the office in WWE at this time. He's in Stamford, Connecticut. He's living in this, you know, in the city. You know, he doesn't like living there. He wants to be back in Oklahoma. Mm. He's miserable. You know, he's describing like he's been in the office at like 10 in the morning. He's got loads of meetings all day. He has to do the payroll. Let's do all this like admin stuff. There's this, you know, less glamorous side. That's just being on the road with the boys and signing yeah, cool wrestlers. HR, basically. Yeah, he's yeah. doing an office job. And he's talking about you know, how Jan has made him these lovely like egg mayonnaise sandwiches. And like, you know, we've all been there. I remember this all the time when I was a teacher. You got the lovely lunch. You're sat there and it's like fucking 10 in the morning and you're hungry. Mm. And you're like, ah, just, and you, you know, you're, you're so stressed out. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll eat it now and I'll get something else later on. Yeah. And he's talking as well then about being like, Ken Shamrock is like, you know, was late to the arena and didn't show up for a house show. And I have to go tell the world's most dangerous man now that he's been unprofessional and he needs to book up his ideas or Vince is going to be pissed off and he's like I'm genuinely scared yeah I'm sure and he's like Jerry goes up to Jerry Briscoe I'm like can you come with me in case he like <laughs> kills me yeah he puts me in a hole yeah. and you need to pry me out of it and stuff <laughs> I like that I'm not doing that though is really funny and you know, the other end of the spectrum as well when they're having you know problems you know drug testing and stuff like that Owen Hart hears that and gets a load of powdered sugar from some donuts and puts it all over his face and goes up and being like Jim I hear you're looking for me man like just like all you know the cast of characters yeah He's the guy you had to go to Yokozuna and Big Van Vader and say, you're not losing enough weight that we in the office are happy with. We're sending you to this experimental weight loss program at a university. Oh. You know, do that, we're going to have to wire your jaw shut so you can stop eating like, you know? Horrible. And then he's getting calls then from, you know, this is like a, it was like Harvard or something like that. And the ring up going, yeah, hi, this is the professor here from Harvard at the weight loss study. Uh, both of you guys have broken out of the compounds. and they're, Good for them. You know, they're going <laughs> eating like burgers and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> And like, you know, there's no shortage of like missteps that he did over those years. And I'm not, you know, but I think it's important to know that it is the worst job in wrestling. Yeah, definitely. Horrible. absolute worst job in wrestling. And as tough as it is, it's about to get tougher because at the end of 1998, in the middle of a pay-per-view in the United Kingdom, his mother has died like a few days previously. He was very close with his mother and he was very distraught and upset by it, but... The grind never stops on the road. Yeah. Jet, imagine can't you, imagine boss Vince McMahon has much sympathy for losing your mother. Yeah, well, we're off on the airplane now. You're jet lagged. You're going to call it live pay per view and all this stuff. 
Bell's Palsy attack in the middle of the show. Oh my god. And it's a testament either to the fact that, like, I don't know, I'm incredibly non-observant, or to the fact that he is so good at his job that we did like, when we recovered that on the pay-per-views that we were reviewing back in the day for the Adrian podcast, we didn't even notice. Which is fascinating to me because he said in interviews that he had to hold up his face. Yeah, that's what he did, So yeah. he continued talking as clearly as he normally does. And... That's just yeah. I mean, I can't. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what that's like. And also, how impressive that is that he was able to continue. I know to go the whole whole way, the whole bout through it, like with yeah. all that terror as well in your head of like it's happening again, it's yeah. happening again, and my mum is dead. It's absolutely shocking. You know, yeah. I, I can't imagine what that that's like. So it's like literally. I can only imagine it was literally his worst nightmare. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's happening at the worst. The worst thing that can happen to you is happening at the worst possible yeah. time. In front of the boss who previously fired you for having a bout of Bell's palsy off air. Yeah, so he doesn't get t- fired this time, but you I know, I mean, my. You know what? I wonder if the reason he wasn't fired this time is because literally Vince McMahon would have had a lawsuit on his hands. I mean, I think at this point he was also kind of. You know, he's indispensable to the company in many respects. Yeah. Because there was no one else who could do those two jobs. Yeah, that's true. And this is the part now where I think Vince McMahon at this point has probably made up his mind that he does want another announcer at some point. Mm. But, uh, you know, Jim Ross is still the top guy. So. He's starting to grow Michael Cole in a lab. Well, that's that's what's happened around this time now. Is, you know, JR has to, take, has to take time off because, you know, he, he can't, like, he just, he can't actually... This bout is much worse. He can't actually speak properly. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 too taxing for him. He wants to get back to work as soon as possible. So in the meantime, he is producing Michael Cole, who's now on TV on Raw wow. in the headsets, and he's done this with Michael Cole. He did it with Mike Adamley. There's like four different guys over the years where Jim Ross literally is training his replacement. Wow! And every one of them have all came out and said he was so great. He did so. He helped me out so much. He mentored me. Like yeah. I don't know. Like that's it's a pretty fucking bitter pill to swallow where i'm like i've been pushed out the door and you're my replacement and i'm going to give you every bit of knowledge i have yeah but again that talent relations side i think would yeah. really help because the number of times i'm sure he had to have chats with wrestlers and tell them to do what he is doing here and tell you know like Shawn michaels like you got to put over this guy even though i know you're intimidated by him taking your spot yeah because that's your job that's you've got job. to do that part of it yeah. yeah i think as well now at this point in time uh jim ross you know he is someone who Russo didn't get along with uh, his writing partner Ed Ferreira didn't get along with Jim Cornette and Ross usually kind of butted heads with those guys but there were a lot of like this is when the writers started being brought in and stuff like that and Jared didn't like you know these young punk kids coming in and telling what to do and everyone yeah. was like oh he's the old dinosaur so basically it gets decided that this man who's been through another bout of Bell's palsy and it didn't work so well the first time, but maybe the second time oh, no, in 1999, this. maybe this is the time that the fans are finally ready to embrace bitter heel Jim Ross, who's angry that he got Bell's palsy. So we watched some segments from J.R. in 1999, where he comes out to lambast Michael Cole and the, the world of wrestling for uh, turning its back on him because he got sick again. Mm. And... The most heartwarming thing about this entire bullshit four or five week run is that the crowd are with him and on his side mm-hmm. every single step of the way. It's Even though hilarious. Credit to him, as much as I'm sure he hated doing it, he puts his heart and soul into being oh, yeah. as nasty as possible. Like, even though the stuff he's saying, I actually do agree. Like, I agree with a lot of what he's saying. I agree like, with everything he says. <laughs> but the way he says it is very nasty. It's oh, yeah. very aggressive and quite scary. 
because he does he's a good actor oh yeah and even still the crowd are completely behind him like when he <laughs> picks up little double denim canadian tuxedo michael cole <laughs> and he's like get your narrow yankee ass in this ring and you're like no not little michael not precious michael and he like slaps him in the willy <laughs> get out of my ring and it was like whoa jr fucking get rid get of that him. twink <laughs> There's like widespread JR chants in the yeah. arena when he does this. And then they like have like, you know, this bit where he's like sits at the announce desk and they have to like to send someone out be like, you know, Jim, you, you gotta go and all that. And he's like, mid card wrestler's gonna tell me to get out of here. Next week he's back. He's got his own special little uh, announce desk that they have oh, set I up for him. I love that. In front of the other announce desk. And Jerry is there with Cole and, K- and JR keeps turning on, you want to be with the A-team king? You want, you want to sit back there at the B-team? We're, we're Monday Night Raw. This is what we're doing here. And everyone's cheered him nonstop. And so chaotic. to the man's credit, he, he keeps going, can you believe all these people are booing me? They're booing old JR. Like, they're not. They're they're, not. They're, they love this. I love this. You know, <laughs> Long before, like, you know, I, A, don't be able to say it's going to solve all of his problems, but you get Jerry with a little special desk in desk front of them. And then turn off the microphone. <laughs> it's like Creed's blog in the yeah. office, like, you know. I just love this. It was so fucking funny. Mm. And, like, again, they went, like, four or five weeks doing this. What, with his own desk? No, no, it's just, you know, starting off with him. He came out and he complained to Bark Gun, then right. Michael Cole, then they had him do the desk for a couple of weeks. Because the desk thing, as funny as it was, was chaotic. It was mad. We tried to watch a match with it. It was mad. They were all talking over each other. It was like 2015 commentary, basically. <laughs> the good old days, uh, you know. It was absolutely mad. And the idea of it was that they wanted to turn the fans on Jim. Right. Make them sick of him, okay. you know. But this is near around the same time where Ed Ferreira, he did a cracking Bell's Palsy, Jim Ross and Proud. Oh this is around the time where Ed Ferreira, he'd crack everyone up with his really funny impression of Jim. And after he'd had the second bout of Bell's Palsy, like they had him come out on screen and be like, hey, I'm going to do my impression of a man who's been struck with this horrible affliction twice. Jesus. You know, when Russo and Ferreira went over to the other company, they turned it into a character, Oklahoma. He'd just come out and put, screw his face up and be like, you know, and make, you know, and you have to watch that heartless that's really cruel that's like there's bullying and there's kind of like oh it's a tough business kid everyone says shit to everyone and then there's like what can only be described as a campaign of hatred against someone is this around the same time that vince did the impression vince did the the, well i showed you the random clip of him just pulling a horrible face on the cowboy hat yeah that was just on a random 2011 episode of raw where jim wasn't even on on screen at that point he's just like I'm just going to do it. Just to remind everyone, I still do this. Because you pointed out he does it literally in front of the Be A Star campaign poster. Which, by the way, for people who don't know, Be A Star, the campaign, is an anti-bullying campaign. That's the whole point. Would you like to pipe on that and cut off your your mic because you mentioned the Be A Star? (laughs) 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 But yeah, I mean, it comes from the top. Uh, Jim's opinion of it all, and he's forgiven Russo and Ferreira. His opinion of it was like, all the, the bosses laughed at it and they were just sick of fans so they wanted to impress the boss and mm. we impressed the boss by, you know, making Jr. laugh and Brian Gerwitz in his book recently, he was like, yeah, you know, we pitched this stuff because it made Vince happy and mm-hmm. if we made Vince happy, that meant your stuff got on TV. So, yeah. absolutely. And the idea as well is like, because he was so closely associated with Stone Cold Steve Austin, the idea also was then, you know, he, he's brought back, you know, WrestleMania that year, he's brought back as the commentator and they're like, you know, people know that Austin and him have this kind of relationship. 
So the theory then is like, right, if people love JR so much, let's use him as a sympathetic character. Let's use him as a way for fans to feel bad for Stone Cold Steve Austin. So we got to see him and his interactions with Triple H in China. Ah, yes. Were you, were you shocked by how this all went down, Joe? I mean, how did this sit with you, Jim Ross and, uh, and the game Triple H, your, your favourite wrestler in the world? <laughs> I mean, it made me like JR more. Yeah. Because um, he hates Triple H. I like that about him. <laughs> So they have Triple H, he's wanting a title shot, and the way to get the title shot is by threatening to break Jim Ross's arm. Mm-hmm. And you have Jim Ross getting his arm broken in kayfabe anyway. I must, yeah, this did this did go some way to making me like Triple H a bit more as well. Because I do like very nasty heel Triple H. He's compelling. Yeah, he is. And I think Jim Ross is a sympathetic character. Absolutely. You know, I don't think when you have a compelling heel and a yes. sympathetic character, that's mm-hmm. magic. This devastated me as a child, Oh, by I the can way. only imagine. Absolutely devastated Nasty me. Nasty Triple H with scary China as well. And the worst thing about it was that because he was such a black tar heel version of himself at the time, Jerry Lawler was just like, ha, 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 I've been waiting for this for years. I can't... Ha, ha, just fucking delighted wow. with himself about it. It's It was horrible. I remember when the video game Attitude came out at the time and it was Shane McMahon and King on commentary. And the reason why JR wasn't on commentary is because he'd had his bout of Bell's palsy at that point. But me, my cousin was like, no, it's because Triple H broke his arm. <laughs> so he couldn't do the commentary. He couldn't do commentary he was too with traumati- a He was too traumatized. I was like, As if that would stop JR. son of a bitch, Triple H. I hate him so much, you know. But yeah, this this does lead to a match eventually. We did uh, get to watch Stone Cold Steve Austin and Jim Ross team up against China and Triple H. The scariest part about it being that uh, Triple H and Steve Austin went off and brawled in the crowd and we were left with the very, very worrying combination of China and Jim Ross in the middle of the ring. So Jim finds himself, this is the first time of many, by the way, uh, that he is brought in as a competitor to be a wrestler in, in WWE. I'm ashamed to say how many Jim Ross matches we actually watched for this because, boy, there's, there's quite a few, <laughs> yeah. you know. We didn't even watch him in Triple H main event in Madison Square Garden. Wow. Yeah, there you go, 2005. Check it out, folks. But uh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> He's, he's he's out of his element here. How did Jim get on in, in, in the wrestling match? I actually thought he was kind of cool. Like, really? Like, yeah, obviously he's not a wrestler, but like... There's something about a non-wrestler being like, yeah, fucking I'll do it anyway. He's doing it anyway, and he's trying his best. And he's obviously, you know, he had an athletic background. He's a strong guy. It's, um... He wrestles kind of in the same way that Vince does. Like, yes. With, with no grace. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you say athletic background, but absolutely not an athlete, you know? Yeah. Um, and that was absolutely demonstrated when they put him and China in the ring together. Ooh. China giving Jim Ross a pedigree. Oh, God, that's so scary. Like, what decisions brought us to that point? <laughs> <laughs> But he's got a pretty impressive win-loss record. More often than not, Jim Ross ends up victorious in his in his wrestling matches, it seems, you know? Yeah, but the thing I really liked about seeing Jim Ross, especially here as a wrestler, is he's got such swagger. Yeah. He's a cool guy, and he's sexy as well. Sexy? Oh, absolutely. What is it? It's about the fact that he's got that, like, kind of, you know... I know I'm not a fighter, but I'm going to do it anyways. It's kind of because he feels brave in the face of, of something scary happening to him. I think it's partly that. There's partly, there's a righteousness about his anger, which yeah, is very compelling. For sure. But also there's a twinkle in his eye. There's a confidence. There's a, here we fucking go. There's a, it's a John Wayne 
Like, he's, he's just very cool. Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Exactly. He's trying to drink out of my coffee mug every morning that <laughs> has that inside. So, yeah, a big, big, big emotive moment, I think it was. Uh, and for me, as a kid, it worked. That's the thing. As a kid, it worked. Yeah. You know, almost every time they put Jim in the ring, I was like, oh, my fucking God, seriously? No. That's just for me in WrestleMania 2000. You won't be able to hang with Triple H. <laughs> <laughs> There's a moment where they start brawling in the crowd and several guys just start actually choking Triple H. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just like full on. They want revenge We're for going Jim. to murder you. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, if I was in the crowd at the time, I would have tried to choke him. I, honestly, I would have. I would have come Except right from. You would have been a child. These are fully grown men. If I was a fully grown man at the time, Joe, I would have tried to choke him as well. Give me here, Triple H. Why don't we break your arms? See how you like it, yeah? I think with most things in, in wrestling, it is a case of somewhat diminishing returns, though. Yeah. Because once you use Jim Ross the first time and it gets a big reaction, and in his book... The saddest thing about his book, the second autobiography, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get the inside scoop about all these angles they made him do. I wonder what really went on. And pretty much every time without fail was like, they came up to me and they said, we need to get some heat on this guy. So, you know, we're in Oklahoma. That's your hometown or something to do with Steve Austin. You're his guy. He's your boy. And I went, I don't want to do it, but I did it anyway. And Mm. uh, it was horrendous and I hated doing it. No one wants to see me. No, I look awful in the ring. I hate looking at myself. Oh, I didn't want to do it. And it's I, so unfair and to it's himself. And it's every single time they make him do something in the ring, he's like, fuck me, not again. And there comes a point where I think it's obvious that they're doing it now, not because the crowd are reacting. They're doing it because Vince McMahon's reacting backstage going, yeah. that's good shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, Example of it being used well, but mm-hmm. I think the last time it actually was effective was when Steve Austin turned heel and they had him kind of, you know, explain himself. Jim's like, what happened? And it, you get this, like, absolute bully, psycho answer from Steve Austin. He beats the shit out of Jim Ross. <laughs> and then Vince comes out and is like, what are you doing? Do it more! And, like, that segment, I remember as a kid, it fucking, it traumatized me. Like, you know, it was fun. No. Like my, I remember, like, my cousin was like, you know, he, that was the point where he's like, I don't think I want to watch wrestling anymore. Like, That's you the know? thing, like, I know there's a lot of talk about people turning off wrestling when Stone Cold turned heel. That was but I think it's more to do with him turning heel on Jim Ross, his best friend. Like, you, you, you'd seen that segment before, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I have. I love it, honestly. I think it's amazing. I mean, there's something really scary about it. Yeah. You know? Stone Cold there is... I don't generally find him scary as a heel because I find him more goofy. Yeah, because he did become kind of goofy yeah. later. But this early version This is... early version. And the way he turns on Jim... Especially because for me, I feel this best friend situationship between Stone Cold and JR is, it's always felt quite one-sided. Like Jim Ross has always referred to Stone Cold as his best friend, but I've never heard of Stone Cold referring to Jim Ross as his best friend. And obviously part of that is because of the character. The character wouldn't do that. But it does feel very, I don't know, like I feel a lot of us have experienced one-sided friendships like that. Where you feel, yeah, this is my best friend, but on some level you know they don't feel the same way about you as you do about them. I mean, it was kind of earth-shattering to me to read the book where it's like, yeah, you know, we're friends, but we don't like, you know, we don't talk about anything. Yeah. We don't text each other. There's like when they were in the company together, it's like, you know, we wouldn't talk about anything. We talk about sports or wrestling or or his angle. We wouldn't talk about each other. We wouldn't talk about our feelings. We wouldn't talk about our our wives. We wouldn't talk about anything like that. Is that's how Jim Ross was raised. And I think it's how both of them are in that mindset. Stone Cold too. And like, that was the thing. It was kind of like, you know, 
it's it was a very best professional friends, I guess. Mm. But then to see Stone Cold turn on him Oof. and basically confirm <laughs> that little fear that we all have in the back of our head of this is how I really feel about you, actually. Yeah. And then to beat the shit out of him. And then also be encouraged to do that by the evil billionaire, the, the even bigger boss, bully, like, yeah. Vince McMahon. Like it's just, it is like a it's like a nightmare. It's like a nightmare. Yeah. It's like not only am I not your friend, the fact that you ever thought I was your friend, and we've been laughing behind you the whole yeah. time. And like, now everyone in this room, we're all laughing at you as well. They're gonna watch it. Your boss is here to to humiliate you. What made it even scarier, and this was mind blowing to me, was that because Steve Austin wanted this heel thing to go like proper, like he was deadly serious. This is going to like this is what I want to do. This yeah. is this is the future. I'm this is I'm gonna put everything into this, and it has to be perfect. Mm. He was prop like Jim was like genuinely scared about this segment, like yeah. when they were planning all that because he he'd never gotten cut before. He he bleeds in this segment, yeah. And Austin's like, yeah, I'll, I'll cut you, don't worry, I'll, I'll sort it out. And he's like, I don't really want to do this. Like, no, no, I'll cut you, don't worry. Like, we're, we're gonna do it. And he's like, yo, uh, my 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 catch you with a few out there as well, just so you know. And like, he beat the fuck out of him, yeah. like, and he stomped the shit out of him, mm-hmm. and he cut him way deeper than he needed to. That's the thing, cause like, and when he came back, he was like, oh, sorry about that, kid. Hit you, hit you a couple times. He's like, he beat the shit out of me. Like, yeah. he literally beat the shit out of me. Yeah, cause doesn't he have a black eye then? The week yeah, after? yeah, and he's cut like this is a pool he's, of blood. He's properly beaten up. And like. the difference between like, hey, if you're a wrestler and you get busted open all the time, it's kind of you know, you've never been cut before, and it's like, whoosh. it's it's ironic as well that it's, it's Steve Austin of all people because obviously in the match he has with Brett yeah, he's in a similar situation yeah. where he had never bladed before and Brett is kind of like talking him through it and Brett I think at the time wasn't he like I'll do it for you mm. but it's way harder to blade someone else than it is to blade yourself because you can't feel you don't know their flesh as well as you know your own you can't feel yeah. how deep you're going there, yeah, we'll get it in other episodes but there's a lot of bad stories in wrestling let's just say about people letting other people cut them oh really because generally the people who let other people cut them are people who don't want to be cut in the first place and it's mm. uh, the worst type of compromise let's just say yeah that I feel was like kind of the the peak of using JR effectively as a character and I think it did get a reaction but I think it was you know at what cost at what cost I guess I would say and then it's like, it came to the point now where it's like, we're in Oklahoma City. What are they going to do to JR? Like, you're oh, actively anticipating no. it. Like, the next time they're in Oklahoma, Vincent Mann wants someone to join the Kiss My Ass Club. Right. Which is obviously going to be Jim Ross. And they do this whole long ass thing where it's like, no, no, we're not actually going to do it. Here comes the Undertaker to save Jim. And then it's like, Undertaker be like, I'm going to bully you as well. Get in your fucking no. knees, fat boy. Kiss his ass. No. Great, the locker room leader joining yeah. in on the book. This genuinely is. Like, look, his well, family's over there. Look at them. Look at them. Like. I can only imagine for a lot of like young kids, boys especially, who were maybe a little bit chubby, maybe a bullied at home. Oh boy, stuff like that. Yeah. Like, you would really relate to Jim Ross because he's really cool and he's really good at his job and he has his best friend. Stone and it means Cold. nothing. And it means nothing. It and means you're nothing. nothing. And everyone thinks you're nothing. And oh my god, I can only imagine how heartbreaking it must have been. Like, no wonder so many people tune off television. Like, you're kind of taking your target audience and then going, that's you, that is, and you're nothing. I know, I mean, I remember we watched that segment. I know this is a bit with Stone Cold at the start, but the whole thing lasts nearly 25 minutes, and that's how they end the show. That's and the crowd ridiculous. are dead silent. Yeah. They're just like awkward and like 
upset and confused. Mm-hmm. I'm like, there comes a point, and I think it happens so many times where people are always too afraid to say it to him. But Vince McMahon like conflated what got him off with what the audience wanted. Oh, absolutely. You and know? that's trouble with surrounding yourself with sycophants. Yes. And being a billionaire. You it's like no one will tell you the truth. Get this weird masturbatory bullshit where you can kind of convince yourself that it's like, I mean, did it did it make people hate Undertaker more? I mean, well, you know, he's the Undertaker. If he turned heel, they would have hated him anyway. You know, yeah. they, you know, he's a good enough wrestler. Exactly. You know, was it really because Vince McMahon loved the idea of spanking his own bare ass with Jim Ross's cowboy hat and running around in front of his wife and family? Probably more likely, mm. yeah. With regards to diminishing returns as well, Joe, I don't know if they got the reaction from the audience or the sympathy when they had Kane set old JR on fire. No. <laughs> I kind of love that though. <laughs> it's so shit. It's a bit ridiculous. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. I mean, you did say at the time that you thought it was a little bit cool, you know? Yeah. You've been set on fire, yeah. you know? I mean, did it. <laughs> I just wish it wasn't that cane. Worst cane. Worst cane, like bald cane. Yeah. You know, but you... the interviews are really good because JR always asks the questions I want to ask. Yeah. Like, Kane. You look normal. Yeah. Stop going on about your burnt face. Get over it. I think that's one of the best uses of JR always yeah. in his career. Like the, the interviews he did with Mankind as well, yes. where they kind of flesh out that backstory. He did them with Goldust as well. You know, he's done it a couple of times in AEW. I don't think it's ever quite worked, but mm. if I was to fantasy book like an ideal role for him in modern wrestling, I think it would be that, like him doing yeah. those types of sit-in, you know, long-form interviews or whatever. But, you know, we enter in 2005 and... Jim has been uh, given a promotion at this point, and the idea is that we're going to try and ease him out of talent relations. And he's given a title; it's like executive vice president of business strategies, and it's like you know, you know, better pay, bigger office, all that stuff. And he realizes though quite quickly that oh, I'm been put out to pasture mm. because I'm much less involved with the actual decision making process. It's so strange to me that he. That anyone would think to put him out to pasture when he's still so good. I think they work themselves... Like, you book so many things where it's like, look at him, he's past it, he's old, he's pathetic. Buy your own booking. Yeah, yeah they, work bu- yourself into they a work shoot. themselves into a shoot. It yeah. happens all the time in wrestling. Vince McMahon, he was a lot more sensitive to it than most, I believe, because he yeah. had his army of sycophants. But, like, the thing about this is hilarious. He's replaced by John Laurinaitis, Johnny Ace... And the, Fuck's sake! Uh, another member of the non-disclosure agreement club. Speak that man. I know. So he's now head of talent relations. He's like someone who is. Act- Wait, I thought you meant on commentary. No, 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 no. Talent relations. No, no. That's even worse. Yeah, Jr. still commentating. Johnny Ace is doing talent relations. The guy. Jesus. <laughs> the guy who was like. And let's just say, a bit of a reputation. Yeah, no shit. All right, whatever about Johnny Ace, people, everyone's got a story about him being a piece of shit and, you know, him being crap or him being stupid or him being, you know, sexist. sexist. And lots of people have other stories about, about him that we can't hear about because they signed non-disclosure agreements. So mm-hmm. there's this whole other part of him, you know. Brian Danielson's father-in-law. Can you believe it? Yep. But the uh, best thing I heard about this that made me fucking flip was that old Johnny Ace couldn't do the payroll. He didn't know how to do it. He was just, he couldn't do it. Oh, I don't know, these spreadsheets are kind of confusing, you know. Boring. Yeah. So guess what? For the next year and a half, JR kept doing it for him. Why? 
Why would he agree? Because to do he that? knew that if the payroll didn't get done, people wouldn't get paid. And no, it was they like, wouldn't. You know, That's such shit. That's such bullshit. That's it's, not true. He reminded me of like my mum. Like, like yeah. my mum. Like my mum, who's like retired, but still can't help but like helping out in the job and doing loads of stuff. It's yeah. like just you. You've earned your break now. Yeah, and you're allowed like, to just sit. <laughs> you know, I came across a lot of people who were like that in teaching, where it's like kind of I don't know organizations that thrive on people. You know, not just going above and beyond, being expected to do more than they should. Mm-hmm. And I felt that Jim was like... Yeah, wrestling thrives on that too. You're doing literally the one like non-cool part of this lad's mm-hmm. job, for fuck's sake. I like. can't imagine as well that it was valued very highly monetarily, that he was paid very well to do payroll admin. No, no. And 2005 is uh, another really hard year for him as well, because he's been pushed out of the office in that sense. But he has to have quite severe colon surgery because he's suspected he might have colon cancer. Jesus. Which means he has to get taken off TV. And they take him off TV in a really miserable way where they have like the whole McMahon family come out basically. And like they want Jim Ross to apologize because Steve Austin attacked them. And he's like, he'll only apologize for Linda being stunned because the rest of them are all no good rat bastards and Jezebels. Mm. And then Linda kicks him in the balls and fires him. Yeah. And he's off to have colon surgery. And I'm sure being kicked straight in the balls right before colon surgery. Oh God, I hadn't even thought about that. What follows is one of the strangest, long form, cruel bits of television ever. Imagine K.E. Vick, except that it was somehow targeted at someone for real. Like K.E. Vick was a real person or something like that. In that it's really out of step, Mm -hmm. really gross, Mm -hmm. and just not funny. Crude, juvenile, but not in fun ways. Like not, yeah, just like, I don't know. It's like when a family member you don't like gets really drunk and starts like, Telling loads of really off-colour jokes that only they find funny. And everyone else is like, this is really weird. You'd kill the atmosphere yeah. of this wrestling show. Uh-huh. Brackets family gathering. Yeah. So JR is literally a day or two out of surgery. Having like really, re- you know, hit a, a large portion of his colon removed. Oh you my know? god, that's so horrible. Oh you know, my god. This is like, you know, we're talking about pretty much, you know, life or death stuff here. This, yeah. is, this is really serious, and really I, bad. And not to mention all the, the all lifestyle changes you have to have if yeah. you've had colon surgery. You can't eat normal food. And, oh you know, my God, that's I think so as well, if you'd suffered Bell's palsy at that point multiple times, you'd be mm. concerned about, you know, major surgery is obviously going to be maybe a, a, stressor. a stressor and all that. Yeah. So, I mean, tell me what happens here with Dr. Heine now. Oh I know that uh, God. we all love Vince McMahon and we like to ha- see him have a good time, don't we, folks? So this is like a special long part the show for you to to tell us how you really feel i mean i'm not sure what the point of this is that's the thing it's like yeah this is the most chaotic thing i think vince has ever done because there is no there's no payoff for this no exactly it's pointless stone cold is retired for at least three yeah. years at this point as well keep in mind he ain't uh-huh. coming back to save him there is no new guy who helps jim ross this is just Literally kicking a man who is down and he's down because he's had colon surgery. Yeah. And even within kayfabe, none of this makes sense. <laughs> I mean, like, it's just infuriating to see. I'm so, trying to think that Dr. Heine's not a real medical professional, Joe. So they're in a hospital and they're saying that Jim Ross, yes, they name him Jim Ross. There he is. They've got a mannequin or something. With like, a cowboy hat on A bunch it. of cushions with a cowboy hat and a big fake arse. And as soon as they... up in the air. As soon as they unfurl the arse, they literally go... Yeah, make they, fart they, they sounds. Show, look, it's a bum. Yeah, that's the level we're dealing with here. Set, also, your, set your expectations. That's the funniest part of this whole segment. <laughs> it's all downhill from there. Yeah, you, you can't rise above the solitary fart at the start. 
And this is, I think, I lost count of how many things he takes out of his Oh, ass. well, I've got a full list. I made a note of every single one. Poor, first of poor all, though, Joe. <laughs> first of all, though, I want to talk about the staff involved. So we've got a nurse, yep. very sexy nurse. We're talking enema of the state album cover art like yeah. full sexy nurse right off the shelf the answer is nurse's yeah, outfit sexy nurse's outfit and, and also as well this role they felt that it was inappropriate for any of their actual female performers like to be to think involved they were in. like no nah. this is below me nah. put me back in the gravy bowl match for fuck's yeah, sake I'll, anything but this i'll be in the pudding later on yeah, i don't do this, this. So no one else will take the mantle of nurse slobber knocker yeah who remains an unknown quantity slobber knockers kevin sorry it's, it's boobs boobs, boobs. Oh, girl, how about yeah, that see it's very clever it's layered i don't understand though who is dr heine because it seems to be vince mcmahon <laughs> Well, uh, many people don't know where uh, Dr. Heine uh, ends and uh, the character of Vince McMahon begins. Uh, sometimes I don't know. Uh, sometimes when I look in the mirror, I just see Dr. Heine looking back at me. This is referred to as Dr. Heine. Dr. Heine. Is, but it is just Vince McMahon. It's, and my, it's, not it's my new like, original character. It's not like he's acting. No, he's, he's just being Vince. He's just being himself, being juvenile. He is having the time of his oh, life. Yeah. He's having so much fun. He's with a sexy lady with big boobs. He gets to make fun of Jim Ross. He gets to make for fart jokes ages. for ages. So, okay, rundown. So, yeah, we have the massive fake arse, which immediately farts. Then the 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 arse starts making gurgling noises. Yeah, the sound effects in this, it's like you've got proper, like, like wet manipulation. Like, yeah. But, like, like also, non-stop. like, diarrhea sounds. Your toilet flushes. Toilet flushes. You know. JR's <coughs> theme tunes. Yeah, loads playing. of JR sound bites. I will say... The own upside of this is that it made me genuinely think that it had been somehow influenced by the rap song uh, that my been put, of JR's My Ass, of which you know, we've been walking around singing the Sooners Charge song. Yeah. Da, 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 and we, now and then, Joe will just turn around to be like, My ass. 30 men will enter my ass. <laughs> Earl Hebner is in my ass. The lethal poison has been injected into my ass. <laughs> it's such a banger. So thank you, Dr. Heine, for tangentially reminding us yeah. of a better thing. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, they use clips of JR doing commentary. And, um, oh shit, also, Vince McMahon is naked. Yes. Under, under, the, under, the, yeah. under the hospital gown. Yeah. Which, I don't know how many times you've seen this. I've and this seen is it the, too many times. This is the only time you've realised he's naked under there. Yeah, I was looking at Nurse Slabberknuckles the whole time, obviously. I don't so. blame you. <laughs> That's why you need a woman in here to look at sexy, <laughs> sexy Vince. Ugh, right. What do we got coming out of the bus? Okay, well, first of all, it's important that you lubricate your tools. Yeah, so um, his hand gets lots of gel and... No. You know. Oh, he gets a jackhammer, doesn't no. he? No, no. The jackhammer comes later. First, they decide to lube up JR's arse with JR's own barbecue sauce. Which is delicious, by the way. It is delicious. I've had it. It's very yummy. Very good sauce. So yeah, they, they lube up the arse with the barbecue sauce. Then they pull out a football. Um, then they bring out the jackhammer. Yeah. The, the full roadworks tool, dun, 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 whatever it's called. Um, then an owl? That's the bit. He takes out an owl and goes, What are you, a pervert? And you were telling me it's like, Oh, is it because of the Richard Gere, hamster you know, thing. hamster story? I'm like, yeah. But it's an owl. So maybe, I was thinking about that. Maybe the owl is because owls are wise and nerdy. So maybe that's why it's like a representation of Jim Ross. We're like, gonna get someone kind of wise coming and explain. Like, you guys never put an owl up your ass. What's wrong with you, milk toast vanilla losers? Like, <laughs> come on. Uh, yeah. So they pull out an owl, and then they pull out 
a hand, a severed hand. Yeah, the, the, it's bloody as well. That's the point they lost the audience. The audience yeah. did pop no, I a little bit. No, I think the owl bit. was also a bit the, like, the, everyone's confused. The bloody hand. It's Which like... then, Dr. Hiney, a.k.a. Vince, explains then that the severed hand is Mae Young's other hand. Because if you don't know... I can't remember what episode. This is Mark Henry's episode? It was in the Russo episode, I the think. The Russo episode. Or, or the Mae Young episode, I guess. I don't know. Possibly. But yeah, basically at one point, Mae Young gave birth to a hand. Right. So there you go. So that's this is the other hand that I guess she gave birth to. <laughs> that went into JR's ass. It went to JR's ass. This is more, this is one of the things that the more you look at it, the more confusing it yeah. gets, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, then out comes a goldfish. In okay. a in an alive goldfish in a little bag. Oh, I thought it was just a carrot in a bag of water, but no, no it was, it was a, goldfish. a goldfish. Then a football helmet and JR's theme music. Okay. Then he pulls out a novelty stone cold water bottle. Uh, and then finally he pulls out JR's own head. Ah. Complete with cowboy hat, even though JR on the table is wearing a cowboy hat, so... The, the punchline is he's had his head up his ass this whole time, and of course, right. in stand-up comedy, we all know the rule of 14s. Uh, you, you mentioned 14 things, and mm-hmm. uh, the 14th one is the funniest thing, obviously, there yeah. as well there. Uh, and then Vince McMahon, he gets, I think, turned on by this whole process? Right, yeah, so then he shoves JR's lifeless body off the table... And um, starts smelling the nurse's tits. I don't know ah, why he does that. Now we know why no one else wanted to be involved. Yeah. Um, and then he and the nurse lie on the table and they have sex. On the table where Jim had just had a, his surgery. So a yeah. couple of things about this. Firstly, that segment is 15 minutes long. That's 15 uninterrupted minutes. I'm surprised it's that long because I thought it was longer. It, it, felt, it felt like an eternity. It felt like a full WrestleMania two-night pay-per-view. And if you think about that, that's on Monday Night Raw. That had to be like a full quarter, like a full segment. Like, you know, there's ads, there's that, and then there's ads. That's the thing I want to kind of think about a lot is the advertisers. <laughs> what would they? Yeah. They paid a lot of money for this and that's what they get. Yeah, geez, they even get the, the Skittles read from JR and no. that they got that instead. That is that is something as well to, to bear in mind is that Jim Ross decides after surgery, his wife Jan is looking after him, convalescing, and they're at home uh, and he's moved back to Oklahoma at this point. And he's like, we'll turn, we'll turn on Raw. We'll see what's going on in the show. It'll cheer you up. Oh my God, that's such a bad idea. And they, they don't know this is coming. No one said, hey, JR, you know, something's going to be on the show tonight. Maybe either say, don't watch it or whatever. None of that. No. They turn on the show. They watch this. And the, he describes as both the two of them just sat there in tears. And his wife being like, why are they... T-? Like, she just can't... Like, she's the most patient woman in the world. And she just doesn't know. They're both broken down in tears. Because they just yeah. don't get it. Most, one of the most traumatising, stressful moments of his life has been reduced to the most juvenile, unnecessary, not even funny segment that no one even liked. I know, that and was, this it. is it was with for a, nothing. With a target audience of juvenile teenage boys in, what, 2005? Yeah. The peak of edgelords. Yeah. And even they didn't want that this. That was it. Like, it was so try-hard, yeah. you know? And that was the thing. I remember watching wrestling at the time just thinking it was so fucking lame because it was like, we're trying mm. so hard to be something that was like... You know, my memories of the Attitude Era were quite vivid at that point. It had only been like four or five years ago that it was. And you're doing this now? And it's like just so cringe so fucking bad but like here's the thing is like you know once he came back from his surgery oh they brought him back for a special one i owner we'll bring him back at wrestlemania then oh we'll bring him back at backlash then before you know he's back you know he's a commentator again like his quality of work they couldn't deny so they kept invariably bringing him back after all this 
another really hard thing that happened around this time, and I thought it was it was so short and so so mean in a, in a whole new way. Yeah, is that it's the two thousand and eight draft, and we're thinking, hey, we're going to shake things up, and they say with this draft where people are going to go between Raw and SmackDown and ECW, anyone can be drafted. And all the top people know what's going to happen, but they don't tell the lower downs to want to keep it like spicy and keep everyone on edge. So by top people, you mean like Vince and his cronies and the writers? Oh no, I would say you'll say Batista, Triple H, oh, Shawn Michaels. You know, no one's moving those guys around. Right, right, quite right. To say so, and they think the best thing to do live on air mm. is announce that Jim Ross is no longer the voice of Monday Night Raw like he has been for the previous, you know. 11 years or whatever Which, it is. I feel you should explain why that is so significant to someone like Jim Ross. Because that didn't... I Like, to me, I was like, well, so what? Like, obviously, Raw is the bigger show. It's, so the, it's the show. Yeah. It's the flagship. But it means so much more to him than just wrestling. Oh, yeah. It's like... It's it's like Monday night wrestling is like for him it's like Monday night football. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not even just... The, it's not even about the show or the company. It's about, like, every Monday night, the idea that millions of people around America tune in to watch the wrestling... Ah, there's Jim. I know I'm, you know, things are normal. They, yeah. He took that so seriously. Because I imagine, as we were saying earlier, he watched football with his dad. Yeah. He'd do these commentary things Absolutely, with his dad. Yeah. That would have been probably the one moment of bonding he would get with his dad. And that's not just him. That's going to be so many other people in that situation. Yeah. One, you know, one day a week where they get to hang out with their dad is when they get to watch the sports together. Exactly. He thought, you know, he always noticed when he would do commentary, he'd say, we well, thank you so much for welcoming us into your homes. I always thought, I love that little yeah. touch because he like, he understood like, oh, it's, it's a privilege. He takes it so seriously. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's, it's his sense of self-worth tied up in the prestige of what it is. And also as well, it's like, you know, the notoriety, the continuity of it. You know, and he's been doing it at this point for how long? I mean, you since, say? you know, 90, 97, he would have been like the, the lead announcer. And this is, you know, 2008. So yeah, it would have been 11 years, 11, yeah. 11 years at that yeah, point. Yeah. You know, bits on time. and off and all, you know. But he said that the one thing he always wanted to do was just keep doing that. You know, if he had his way, he would have called Monday Night Raw, you know, he would have given up everything else and yeah. kept doing that. That's, like he probably cares less about the pay-per-views, less yeah. about WrestleMania than he does about Monday Night Raw. And he's had at this point, you know, maybe, you know, Joey Styles from ECW, he was brought in and again, he was produced by Jim to become his own replacement. At one point, Vince McMahon decides he wants Mike Goldberg, the voice of UFC. He's going to come in and be Jim Ross's replacement. Mm. Mike Adamley, the, the host of American Gladiators, he's going to be Jim's replacement. And Jim has survived all of these guys mm. now and thinks, okay, it's finally maybe settled down. And live on Monday Night Raw, they announce that Jim Ross is now going to be on SmackDown and Michael Cole is now the voice of Monday Night Raw and they didn't tell him and the camera is like, Reet! what do you think about that, Jim? Live reaction from Jim Ross now. Let's watch him cry. <sighs> it was hard to, like harder to watch than the Dr. Heine segment. Yeah, because you can see worse. him like You can see him. how, oh my God, I can't, I literally can't imagine, again, having to do your job where you're on screen and like, I can't even imagine like, Doing this podcast, if I was feeling a bit upset, I couldn't do it. He's made the stronger stuff, though. He's I mean, made the stronger stuff. This, but... this is the man who, when Own Heart had yeah. just been announced, died. It's like Own Heart is dead, Jim, and we're alive in three, yeah. two, one. He has to just convey show, this, yeah. you know. But you can see it really hammers home just how obviously harrowing this is for him because you can see in all the other people on commentary you've got mick foley there you've got michael cole so you got mick foley there he's the smackdown announcer you've got michael cole you got king yeah you have like taz and and joey styles over everyone's there, well. yeah, there. Everyone, everyone's there like yeah, yeah and everyone looks like they've just been told you're you're you know your mum has died or whatever like it's it's 
everyone can immediately tell the tone. And the crowd as well. The crowd crowd, are like, why are you doing this? And you can see as well the sympathy and like the guilt in a way from like Michael Cole when he, because they literally have to get up and swap seats on air. Oh my God. And he looks mortified. He looks so upset on his behalf that he has to take his place. And here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not going to do the whole thing about it because I feel we'll do a Michael Cole episode one day. But Michael Cole kind of was never embraced in that initial period. There was a period of like three or four years where the fans just not my not my voice of WWE. Yeah, and you know they did angles with him and Jim Ross for Jim trying to get his job back and all that. And it was always just to kind of like you know get a bit of you know buzz around the commentary desk, thinking that they could get something out of it and do stuff with with Jerry and Cole. But like I genuinely believe the reason why it took so long for the fans to warm up to Cole is because that was his starting yeah. point. It's like, he took a spot. we're getting rid of your favourite. Here he is, ungrateful. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's just, it, you know, they set him up to fail, really. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, people are like, why did they turn Michael Cole heel? Like, well, they did it because they had no other choice because people hated him so much yeah. because, you know, he was the, the shit new... I don't want... Give my dad back. I don't want the shit new dad. Yeah, no this way. weird nerdy stepdad. I, I don't like him anymore. Yeah, he's got goatee. Yuck. So 2009, you know, he, he's... He, he's brought over to SmackDown and, you know, it's an adjustment for him. He doesn't really like doing it. After a while, it's like he's no longer the play-by-play. Now he's going to be... the He's the colour commentator. Mm. Todd Grisham, the young guy, he's the play-by-play. It's never really the same again after that. Yeah. You know, in 2009, he has another third bout with Bell's Palsy. Oh my god, that's so unlucky. And it was essentially the end of him as like as an active guy where it's like you got yeah. to see him every week. As I said, you know, they did use him as like kind of, you know, a storyline thing. Like I I bought it hook line and sinker. And I felt like it was like in the Brian Danielson episode where I talked about like, you know, them kind of being like, you know, making you feel angry on their behalf. Yeah. You know, it's I I said on the Edge podcast recently like with JR, it was like it's like Chuck and Community and all these like shows that were taken away from you. Like you kind of tried to build a fever pitch for it by like kind of taking, oh, is it going to come back? Oh, no, it's not. And he'd come back for bits here and there. But it was never ultimately to have him back as a full-time announcer because Vince didn't want him as a full-time announcer. Right. One of the saddest things, I've said this phrase so many times, I'm literally making myself fucking sad now. (laughs) It's WrestleMania 26. It's the follow-up from the last episode we did, Sean and Undertaker. It's Sean's retirement match, him and Taker. And it's WrestleMania 26, you know, bigger than life. And they want one person to come out and to be the commentator just for the match. Bring back Jim Ross. He hasn't been back to work yet. He's ready to go. And they say to Jim, you know what? Get your tuxedo. You're going to WrestleMania 26. Bring the family. Bring the wife. Get ready, Jim. You're back in the big chair for the big match. And then on the day of the show, they say... Vince doesn't want you anymore. Um, we're going to go with Matt Stryker For and fuck's sake. you know the regular team instead. And Jim is just has to sit and watch the match. And I think it's one of the sweetest things I think I've ever heard either man do. At the even though it was Sean's retirement and even though it was a big night for him, at the end of that show, they didn't go to the post WrestleMania party. The two of them went and they found Jim, and the three of them got a bottle of Jack Daniels. <gasps> And they went and they had a little, they set a little fire in the bin. They had a little, little party, just oh the three of them. And even though Sean doesn't drink, you know, he had his, he yeah. had his beer or whatever. And they all just sat around, they, sh- they talked old stories and just oh, shot the shit. Oh, that's lovely. And it was meant to be his, Sean's night. And instead they made it about him. Oh. And I thought, you know, no one else in the company was going to give him that, that. And I thought. Wow. You know what? That makes me like Sean even more. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a nice thing. He really, I can It's a be, selfless thing. Yeah. He can be very. God, yeah, very thoughtful sometimes. That's so nice to think. Because as well, like, 
Jim Ross, he wouldn't have been like, really, because he's not on the show, he wouldn't have been around much. He wouldn't have had much reason to think about him once you've got the match in your head. Yeah, exactly. And then you'd be like, you know, up in the atmosphere and all that adrenaline stuff. You would automatically think, oh, I'd go to that party and stuff. The fact that he's even still, both of them were like, no, let's go seek out Jim. I think it's really, really sweet. so sweet. That's lovely. And I think, you know, he, his, his exit from the company in like 2014 then, it was not a uh, not particularly uh, uh, a great moment for for him or for the company because what eventually leads to him leaving the company it's not because you know Vince is like ah we don't want you on commentary anymore you know he'd been brought back in 2011 for a few stints here and there and whatnot with the, the Michael Cole storyline which will be in a future episode it was the WWE 2K Sports panel that they did mm. that ended up derailing his career and ended up costing him his job with the company he was uh he was fired and i'll tell you it was one of the last times i got infuriated on behalf of a wrestler you yeah. know i remember facebook messaging kenny mcintosh from inside the ropes at like one in the morning going have you got a login for for for, for dave Meltzer's website i need to find out what's happened <laughs> how have they fired jim what happened what happened and it was like oh this just a panel for the video game got out of hand. Mm. We watched the panel for the video game, which is still up in its full format to this day. Yeah. From streaming live on Twitch, which Jim Ross is like, huh, they'll never get over. <laughs> like, you know, very 2014 behavior. I mean, what did you reckon to the uh, to the proceedings at the 2K panel? It was a, a, a pretty chaotic evening, I think. It was, but it was fun. It reminded me, actually, of when we record Subcultured. Like, it was very chaotic. <laughs> There'd been a few cocktails. A few cocktails. Everyone's having... Everyone's relaxed and having a good time. And I don't understand, really, why this was blamed on, like, Jim Ross. Because he... He definitely isn't as perfectly professional as he maybe used to be. This is the sassy, yeah. like, quiet quitting, I don't give a fuck Jim Ross. But yeah, exactly. This is an evening event. Lots of the other wrestlers have been drinking and it's for a video game series. So I can kind of see why he's not putting it on the exact same pedestal as WrestleMania or Monday Night Raw or whatever. And also as well, it's not Jim Ross who decided to put the nature boy, Ric Flair, who was steaming, by the way, and literally a few months prior had found his son dead of a heroin overdose. Yeah. You know, putting him and fill him full of liquor and go, let's talk about old stories on the stage. Yeah. Jesus, who'd have thought it was a recipe for disaster like? But honestly, I blame Mick Foley. Oh, really? I mean, Foley, this was the... I cringed so hard when, when we watched this bit and we, we were like, rewind that, rewind that. And, uh, yeah. So Jim is asking everyone on the panel what their favourite WrestleMania memory is mm-hmm. in between fucking sassy put-downs and one-liners and everything like that. He's, he's basically like kind of a compare at a stand-up gig that's yes. not been very well attended. Yeah, he's kind of, he's having fun with it. He understands that this isn't the usual job. He's not getting paid full tonight, but there are free drink coupons yeah. that he's been given for the bar. We thank you very much for that. And he understands as well that it's a, you know, video game fans are a different audience to yeah. wrestling fans. And I think he, um, he identifies early on that uh, the Nature Boy is maybe uh, a little bit of a red flag at the moment. Maybe we should kind of work around him. But, and uh, I think that's the case regardless of what had happened in Rick's life at that point. Yeah. Regardless of his, at that point, sobriety or otherwise. Like, Rick is... Rick needs to be managed and handled. He, yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, he always has done. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Mick Foley maybe made it a hundred times worse. A hundred times worse. JR, as silly as he is obviously feeling here, has a plan. He is organised. And he is going through the panel 
one by one by one. He starts off with Dolph Ziggler on the left and he works his way down. Mick Foley is second from the right and Rick is next to him on the far end. As he gets to Mick, just before Rick, obviously, gets to Mick and he's like, what's your WrestleMania moment? And Mick, instead of telling him what his WrestleMania moment is, goes, oh, hang on, hang on, Jim Ross. You've forgotten Ric Flair. You've forgotten him. You haven't let him tell his WrestleMania story. And he does it in a way where it's like, S- sorry, there was meant to be an order of uh, of halloumi fries, sorry, on the table. For me, not, it's not come. it felt like when you have an after-school club and the parents are there and they're like, my child hasn't had a turn yet. And it's like, well, yeah, because no one's, no one's had a turn yet. Wait your turn. Just wait, okay? It and then you got Austin be like, God damn, Mick, cool it, kids. Cool it. The man's got a plan. Even Ric Flair, <laughs> when Mick calls out that Jim Ross has supposedly forgotten him. Rick's like, he's working to the main event. Yeah. Perfect way of putting it. That is exactly what Jim Ross was doing it. How you handle Ric Flair. Yeah. But Mick totally threw everything out of, it goes into disarray from that moment on. Because then it becomes about Ric Flair. And Ric Flair starts telling all of his stories. And he's got thousands of them. And Jim like, you know, throws his papers in the air. He walks off the stage at one point. Paul them Um, up. It's just, yeah, it's it's like the gong show. It just becomes too chaotic for its own I good. love it, though. It's so fun. And I think at the end of it, what became apparent was that, aha, we were going to fire you anyway, yeah. and you've just, ju- you've just reminded me, actually. I was going to <laughs> fire you. And that was it. And I remember at the time, he was fucking pissed, as you would be, you know? Because you think of all the things that they were going to fire him for, all the things they have fired him for, this one seems like just, you know, ridiculous by comparison. And uh, we we watched uh, two clips. There's one of him like a couple of months later on Sam Roberts' podcast. Arms folded. Bullshit. They say that I was drinking. Absolute bullshit. I had one drink. It was one drink, you know, and, uh, you know, it wasn't on me. It was bullshit. You know, uh, people got upset, you know, and the arms, you know, fold higher and higher. Yeah. And then we listened to him on Conrad's podcast last year and he's like, oh yeah, I had like... 10 drinks that you know there was free liquor backstage it was flowing like water i was drunk he was drunk it was terrible bad decision even still i don't think he deserves to be fired for it because he may have been drunk he did not act drunk no he acted silly but he did not come across as a drunk person and i genuinely don't think there was much he could have done with that combination of people at that time of day with the circumstances that they were it was impossible situation to manage i mean I think I remember this time being really upset for him and then just see like, you know, he immediately was like Mr. Positivity and yeah. back on the hustle. He's like, great, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go start a podcast. This is in 2014. All these things he probably wanted to do all this time. He's yeah. like, well, 2014, you're starting a podcast. What are you, Kevin Mahon? Like, you know, because you know, he was one of the first, him and yeah. Austin, the two first wrestlers I remember doing it. Yeah. And he'd all, you know, he recognized it as a, as a great platform for him. He's like, I'm going to call boxing. I'm going to call MMA. He became a contributor for like football uh, websites, you know, in Oklahoma. He worked for New Japan Pro Wrestling, much to the chagrin of most New Japan Pro Wrestling because he fans, because he didn't fucking, he didn't know anything. Like he didn't know any of the names, didn't give a shit. But, you know, he at least was able to, he was able to at least kind of prove that, look, I can, I don't need WWE anymore. Yeah. And I think when you are bullied by a company or bullied by an individual, there's nothing quite as empowering as being able to be like, huh, I don't need them. Yeah, I'm I, free. I'm free, you know? And I thought that was like, I, I remember not liking nearly any of the things that he was doing, but <laughs> still being like, I'm happy that you just get to do you. Yeah. You know, no one's telling you what to do. You're not being bullied. Hell, you might even get to bully someone now, like, you know? 
<laughs> you, you can bully the New Japan Pro Wrestling American audience. How about that? Like, you know, I think as well, WWE realized at this point that there was value in bringing him back as like maybe you know, a legend and stuff like that. He'd yeah. come back for kind of your know, legends appearances. And the one really nice thing I think they did was that his wife, Jan, who we mentioned previously, mm. she passed away in one of the most tragic circumstances possible. Yeah. Uh, which was that she just got hit by an oncoming driver. You know, mm. She used to go around a little little Vespa scooter that he bought for her, yeah. you know, and she just got, you know, guy didn't stop, ran her over. She yeah. was in intensive care and she, she literally like had to ring him and he had to, you know, rush to the hospital, got to say his goodbyes. You know, they'd shaved her hair all off because she'd had so much, you know, contusions on yeah. her head. and She was in a coma for like two days yeah, apparently then, before that, she died. Then she died like, yeah. and like, you know, Fucking hell! That was the kind of the point where I realized, like, oh, like shit, she's like she's real. Like, you know, this 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 ain't just a story because the outpouring of grief from the wrestling world was like it was more than if a member of the wrestling world themselves had died. Mm. I had not seen grief like that in a long time, and he was like, I gotta work. I'm going fucking crazy. And they did bring him back. They brought him back to WWE to call the main event of the, the WrestleMania that was Roman and the Undertaker. And I know it was a shit match. <laughs> that's not like, Jim's Ross's fault. That is, that's not his fault. And it, I think it probably got him out of that rush, you know, and it got him out of that headspace. He needed to work. Yeah. And I think as well, a lot a lot of the stuff with him in recent years, I've maybe kind of... There's part of me that's always like, it's good for him. He's earned this. I think I'm very much at the moment after doing this whole big episode talking about all the sad shit that's happened to him that I'm going to be more forgiving than I would be on a random pay-per-view review of some of his work, say, in AEW. Right, yeah. Because I feel like if you listen to me and you talk about him in AEW oh, we pay-per-views... Are, yeah, we don't go gently. What's the issue with him in AEW? Or what, you know, I know it's it's not been your brand, really, at, at points. I know it's more my kind of a show, but I think we both agree that JR has, has struggled at the best of times. Absolutely. I mean, my main issues with him are the blunders like the big issues like yeah. i think lots of people are sick of him like people like you who kind of have to hear him a lot you get sick of him because he's very low energy now yeah he has like almost no passion left That's for this he, business he said in the hall of fame passion is contagious and so is the lack of it That's very and true. that addresses both the highs and lows of his yeah, career absolutely yeah and because so many times when like excalibur would be like Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm are here. Can you believe it? We got a thunderstorm on our hands. Huh, you come up with that one yourself? That's good. Huh. Yeah. He's like Dude. very... And it's not... Because he can be quite scathing, you know, as, as is evidenced throughout his earlier career. He he can turn it on. But it also kind of shows that that's a little bit of what he's actually like. You know, he is genuinely very grumpy. Oh, and, yeah. Ornery, um, I think, ornery. is the word I would yeah, use. Yeah, definitely. For sure. And he can be quite... He can come across quite cruel. But the things I take real issue with is, as I said, the blunders. So he called an episode of Dynamite WWE Dynamite. Oh, Jesus. One time. Talk about, like, literally, I was like, that's it. I was like, going to turn off. The, it's like, talk about a bad start. Yeah, like, you that's, know? That's a bad mistake. But okay, fair enough. He is old and he worked in WWE for 30 yeah, years yeah. or however Whatever, long it was. Yeah. So fair enough. But then he said some really creepy shit about women oh yeah that's and that's gotten worse as well yeah. and the reason was because he'd say something like kind of oh you know the ladies are in here and they can go they can go just as much as the man you know yeah uh, which okay. is it's condescending but ultimately not cancelable offense worthy and then it'd be like do you like penelope ford jim because you're saying an awful lot of stuff about her and then mm. it's you know 
Him saying pervy fucking thirsty stuff, that's one thing. But now it's the fact that that has been called out and it's like, man, Penelope Ford, she's a, she, she's built, and I'll tell you what. Mm. And I know people on Twitter are going to come after me and say, oh, JR, you shouldn't be saying those things. All I'm saying is that, and then, and then he goes and he explains it. He, it he acknowledges that there's a problem with it and you're not going to like it. And, and it's like, you know what? I'd actually, <laughs> speaking as a man, duh. But like, I'd rather you say the pervy thing and just fucking rip off the bandaid than go on a fucking yeah. TED talk about why you said the pervy thing. Yeah, I agree. You know, the cowboy emoji was used in this instance because she's physically attractive. Mm-hmm. And I like, there ain't anything more awkward than talking about a dude who's fucking grieving hard. Yeah. You know, who's who's also thirsting hard. And, you know, look, this is a physical business. It's a horny business. Hey, this is a physical horny podcast, baby. Yeah, and <laughs> wrestling is an industry where lots of people get sexualized. I think that is kind of, to a point, part of what you should expect. Um, but there's less, on screen. there's less creepy ways to do that, there's isn't less there? There's creepy ways to do it, that's the thing. And I, 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 I refer to people like Sabu. Because Sabu is very horny all the time. On Maine. On Maine. And he has also suffered tragedy and grieving as well. He has, particularly with regards to his wife, yeah. Yeah. And yet Sabu manages to be horny in a way that isn't creepy. And I think, you know, there are moments where JR maybe is less clumsy with the way he speaks. And like, for example, he spoke about Natalia and her sister's OnlyFans. And I, that is my, I think, a very appropriate time to be horny. It's That's what they are That's what it's for. for, yeah. That's what it's for. That's how they are making money. Are you horny and you like yeah. Natalia and her sister? Have I got a website for you? Great. Go <laughs> give us some money right now and you'll have a grand old time. That is the good place to be horny and the right people because they consent to that. They want that. That's part of their advertising. It's not on Maine, is it? It's not on Maine. <laughs> my issue is when he comes out with things like wishing certain female wrestlers have wardrobe malfunctions on air that is fucked up that's incredibly creepy it's very cruel as well because a wardrobe malfunction can literally destroy a person's career yeah it's it's you know for most women i would say that's their worst nightmare for competitors especially you know seeing as he will have commentated during a time when women's ring gear was not designed with wrestling in mind it was designed to be titillating yeah yeah yeah. so they didn't have the full support wardrobe malfunctions happened a lot more often and it was very humiliating for these women yeah and there he is willy-nilly going around going oh i wish she i wish she'd have a humiliating moment that destroys her career like that is fucked i just think don't say that shit there's no filter now no there's no filter you know i mean case in point i i'll never forget it it's one of the the earlier AEW pay-per-views and I remember us being bamboozled because he all he, he mentioned teeth like four times. He's obsessed with yeah, teeth. He, he's like, look at Matt Hardy, look at the chompers on I'm him. Like, what are you talking about? And it's like, you know, there was times during the pandemic as well where I thought AEW were like, you know, I thought they ran circles around WWE during the pandemic era. Oh yeah. You know, if there was ever a time where the quality difference was more noticeable, it was there because I just thought their approach was more refreshing. But mm-hmm. hot Jim Ross and Daly's place, yeah, you know, getting Florida. warm, Ugh. getting humid, and it's like. And he hasn't got that crowd as well to like listen to and play off of. You know, and like there's, you know, Hangman Adam Page, probably one of my favorite wrestlers in the world right now. When he comes out, he's like, it's the cowboy. I'm like, yeah, that's it. He's the cowboy. It's like your granddad now. Mm. And I think there is a place for him in wrestling. And I think the idea that if you're old, you can't be an announcer is obviously not the case because we got Tony Schiavone. Exactly. Who's like maybe a couple of years younger than him. Who's doing the best work of his career Literally. in my mind. He's so good in comparison as well. Like 
But that's the thing. I it's... feel like they're scared to challenge him and say, hey, yeah. what about this, Jim? It's like, just go do your thing, Jim. You're great. For me, it just feels like he's not having fun. And yeah. it's like, well, why would I want you... If you're not even good at your job now, why would I want you there if you're not having fun? Like, for me, I can put up with a level of unprofessionalism so long as it seems you're having a good time. Because I, I find that infectious. I find, you know, the, the modern style for someone like him, it could be a bit overwhelming. I get that. Yeah. You know, I, I'll never forget... And it's a new company as it's well. A, uh, for someone like him who has he put so much importance into the long-term storytelling and booking of wrestlers AEW doesn't have that as much but even still this is your opportunity jim to come up with this to build it yourself i i just like i think back to uh when i for whatever reason when i ordered the rick flair's last match pay-per-view which was uh that was that mistake that was <laughs> that's going it's going right on the tax bill that one mm. <laughs> but um I remember they had brought in, it was like one of the Crockett's, he used to run, you know, Crockett promotions back in the day. And he hadn't, he literally hadn't watched wrestling in like 30 years. And they put him on as one of the commentators. And like, you know, they'd have like fucking Bandito and Ray Phoenix, you know, like these, you know, high end, like the flippityest of the flippity flip flip wrestlers. And like they do this crazy modern style match earlier in the show. And he, the only thing he'd say on commentary was like, what? Because he was just so blown away mm. by how the, the game had changed while he was away. And he was all for it. He didn't understand it. He didn't know what was going on. But it was like, all I can say is, my mind is blown. And I was mm. like, fucking hell. You know what? Having the Elboy on there just been blown away was so great. But seeing Jim there and like the young bucks are like doing a backflip pile driver to the outside. And it's all crazy. And he's just like, he's just doesn't give a shit. No. You know, it's like he's, he's jaded. Yeah, he is jaded. And, and I can... don't think you could be in that career as long as that and not be at that point maybe especially what he's been through and how he's been treated professionally like he Mm. deserves to be jaded but just because he deserves to feel jaded does not mean he then deserves to have a job where he gets to act jaded like you still have to kind of do your job well please (laughs) a little nugget that i think might make it make sense Mm. Other than Jim Ross, the other name that's touted as being the greatest voice of, of wrestling of all time was Gordon Soley. He would have been the announcer that people, you know, watched kind of, he was the, the kind of NWA announcer back in the day. And he, he had that very classic, you know, when, when J, uh, John Cena was doing his, his Latin's catamaran, oh, yeah. it's that classic voice. And uh, Gordon Soley would be the, the man who would be very, very uh, efficient and, you know, speak, speak eloquently and concisely and all that. But Gordon, in his later years, like he hit the bottle hard. He had he had serious problems with alcohol, and like Jr. noticed, you know, when he had to work with him, it's like, oh my god, he's showing up like kind of drunk. And there were people like, oh, we can't be drinking and all that jazz. And then you know, if he didn't drink, he couldn't call matches basically. Yeah. So Jim Ross was like in his book, he's like, you know, I sat there with Gordon Soley, and I with pride, you know, we poured him a drink, put him under the desk, and like you go to work because he had such respect for him. That even at like 10% capacity, he thought it's an honor for him to be there and to have one last hurrah. And I kind of feel like he thinks he's come full circle now. Or maybe the other, maybe the other people think like, hey, fuck it. You know, I know he's not great, but it's an honor for him to be here. You know, maybe I can't speak for Excalibur or, or, or any of the other announcers that maybe just him being there is like this kind of brand of authenticity. And we, we, the wrestling business owes it to him. To make him feel like Jim Ross for the last few hurrahs. I just feel wrestling has that problem so in so many times and places. Know, yeah. Like, and with like the Ric Flair's last match, like, yeah, okay, he's earned the opportunity to do that to himself and his career. But, but he's but, earned like, the respect of you to say when it's enough. You yeah, know, yeah, like at what cost? Like for him to keep coming back and basically, essentially undo his legacy. And it will get to a point now soon where 
young people only have those memories of him being kind of shit. I think we've had tweets from people along those lines where yeah. they're like, hey, I didn't grow up with him and I fucking, he sucks. I'm not at the point now with him where I could be like, hey, no, hang on a second. Because like, the, for me, I, I can tell you from doing podcasts about it, the last argument winning thing you can ever do in wrestling is be like, here's a list of 10 things to go watch. Like, oh great, I'll do the homework yeah. and <laughs> come to the conclusion that you won the argument then. People care about now. They care yeah. about what they hear and what they see. And, and what, what they, they feel. What they feel. And I feel, you know, he, he had, you know, he had a cancer scare, you mm. know, uh, uh, last year with skin cancer. He was in for treatment and, you know, he, he looked like he had, he'd been through the ringer, you know, once again. He has made rumblings in the last year, and that's why we're doing this episode, that maybe he'll be retiring soon or winding down. They have in AEW, we notice, they brought him out in the second half of the pay-per-view. Genius. That is so clever. And he was Better than ever on on AEW, for sure. The best he's ever been in AEW. Like, yeah. Not quite, you know, peak Jim Ross, but, you know, this is 20 years from then, so... The best you could hope for, I think. Absolutely, yeah. I think, you know, WWE, you're onto something. The big main events, if he comes out... The main event, yeah. Having Jim Ross, if he's got passion about the feud and the match, coming out just for the main event, I think is really smart. Because it will make it feel legendary and iconic. And it'll make the fans appreciate it a bit more. Yeah. You know, because I just... The idea of like a generation of fans thinking he's like the lad who talks about teeth and tits, yeah. like that makes me very fucking sad indeed. And I like, I feel like I'm more, as I said, you know, being through his career, everyone's got to pay, you know, Coke Man talked about the life tax and I know he's had another, another couple of, uh, a couple of goes of that recently. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of people in wrestling, it feels like we talk about it, have, have been through the hardships. I can't think of someone who's disproportionately had more hardship in wrestling and never stepped foot in the ring you know willingly i guess yeah then good old jr yeah. it's it's a sad story but i think the fact that you know it didn't make him run from the hills i mean if i if i was jim ross i would have been out the fucking door oh, in like too. in in the probably in the 70s yes alone the 80s yeah absolutely yes alone the, the multiple firings like the amount of times where like you and i were going through a note to me like wait he was fired again that's the thing he and got, he's considered the best he got fired twice for having Bell's palsy, yeah. and the third time he got Sorry. Bell's palsy, he got taken off commentary. Yeah. He's punished every time for things beyond his control, which don't even affect his ability to do his job. But I think he's probably one of those last true links you mentioned there now about the, the generations. You mm. know, you want to talk about generational talent? This guy's yeah. you've been through several of them. I'm can't think of anyone else. Uh, him, maybe Dustin Rhodes is in there in that category as well. Someone who's kind of been around for a long time. He's been around but he's not he's not as big a slice of the pie that's true jim ross is so iconic <laughs> and you know what as well we mentioned right at the start and it's a nice thing to put a little button on this bit here you know someone asked jr a while back on his on his podcast like what do you think you've become such like a cultural icon like you can't go on tiktok or or snapchat or instagram or or, or youtube shorts and, and not help but see your voice tacked onto all these great things and like you know your voice is everywhere and he's like Pfft. I'm able to see a penny first. Where's my paycheck? He's just like... Jim Ross, get know. on TikTok. I know, but he's just like kind of like, the fuck like, you yeah. know? Yeah, I know him great. Pay me. <laughs> yeah. Good for him. True wrestler. I think there's a career for that man on Cameo and TikTok or whatever it is he wants to do. There's a... If he's not on Cameo, I mean, he must be. I think the JR brand is a lot stronger than he realizes. I oh, hear, yeah. I hear he's getting into uh, growing and distributing his own marijuana. So, uh, Good for him. Slobber knocker buds coming your way, maybe. I think that's a match made in heaven anyone in wrestling doing a marijuana business 
Seems to be a lot of the older guys yeah. doing it as even, well. Even Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash. Please, yeah. Miss Punch. Oh, they should do a blend. <laughs> yeah, Sabu will be your first customer, like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's enough about the life and times of Jim Ross. Let's get into some of your tweets about good old JR. So, speaking about younger people who uh, maybe aren't familiar with JR's more iconic period of his career. Yeah. We have a tweet first up from Jenna ACY who says, I feel like a real jerk because I know JR is beloved from his early career, but I've only ever known his work recently. and It's awful. Wrong names, wrong moves, missed cues, insensitive or just bizarre comments. It feels like everyone else on the desk is working around him. Yeah. Oh, I get that vibe for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like, you know, but you talk about carrying a match. But I think carrying commentary is much harder because at least if you are carrying a match, you have total control over the situation. You can't do that with someone else talking all the time. I can't be that sad, I guess, for... like I, I, I feel for you if, if that's all you know about them. Mm. It sucks. But I kind of feel like if you're a wrestling fan and you're only interested in the here and now, that's totally cool. But like I feel his body of work is so large mm. and spans such a, a length of time. That if you ever happen to say, like, I'm going to watch a WWE show from, you know, anywhere between this, like, 15-year period, his work will probably speak for itself. But that's the thing. Most you know? people don't do that. Most no. people don't have a podcast about no. wrestling. I mean, most people as well don't, like, I'm like I'm never going to, like, put my brain in your head. I'm never going to make you feel nostalgic for something the way that, that I can. I think it's, like, it's it's a fool's game. Like, and people get, like, so upset about people not liking something oh, yeah. that they grew up with. Losing it's like, battle. Like, if you... If, you didn't grow up with JR. I hate to say, you probably never really will get the full JR experience. Yeah, I've accepted know? that. that you know. I will never really love him the way you do. Yeah. Even I'm... though I appreciate him and his skills, he's not a part of my childhood. I don't hear him and feel nostalgic. But were you shocked by the backstory about Like, Did you know that this was like... You know, I'm sure you knew Vince McMahon, the bully and all that, yeah. the name would come up. But were you, were you shocked by the extent to which there was the kind of incidents along the road i was shocked because i have read articles before about terrible things vince has done when, when we did the vince episode i did a lot of research about vince's impact on other human beings as a human being himself and there's so much shit he's done to people mm. over the years jim ross has his own articles just about shit vince has done to him and there's stuff we've not even mentioned in this episode like yeah, we oh could, yeah no, it's, we could have gone on for another couple of hours talking about all the shit vince has done that's so cruel we would have senseless. veered into depressing territory i believe if if we got at that point yeah but like i think the thing i need to mention as well with vince and jr is like they have this like unspoken great respect for each other there yeah. is a, a foreword from vince and jim's book that is literally like he's writing a reference for the greatest employee he ever had and one night in like I think it was 2011 or, or 12 they did eventually do like a Jim Ross appreciation night in Oklahoma and I was, the whole time I was like here it comes here it comes they're gonna dump shit on him they're gonna pie him they're gonna kill him they're gonna you know pull his pants down and it was literally just people being like Jim's the greatest he's so amazing and Vince did like a a proper to camera like he's it's the great least he could fucking do. I know but it's like is it easy for to forget that in the wash yeah it is because mm. of all the other shits yeah Jenna continues it seems to speak to a bigger issue that wrestling has, the unwillingness to retire because a big name remains a draw, even when the skills that made their name are long gone. JR is in a seat at the AEW desk that could be used to elevate the next great commentator. It's a real shame. Well, there's probably two ways of looking at that. Firstly, it's like, 
the people who are swapping channels mm. and when Dynamite or well I guess he's on Rampage now but when that show is playing they go oh wait a minute hang on I used to watch wrestling back in the day that's, yeah. that's JR them versus the people who are watching the show going this fucking commentary man fuck this and they turn off the show mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm i yeah. not sure I, that's a fine balance Yeah, I wouldn't be confident swaying it one way or the other but I think that you know this is why the I think the good middle ground is just having him on for one special events match special sure. events yeah Next up from Achu I Sneezed, I think Paul Heyman said that to get the best out of JR, you have to make him mad. Hell yes. I think this is also true from a kayfabe perspective. Some of JR's best stuff has come from when he has a storyline reason to be pissed off. Oh, baby. That's true, because he is, it's a, he's a very good actor, which I think often gets unrecognized with commentators who get put in angles. Yes. Like Michael Cole as much as I love him, is not much of an actor, which is part of his appeal. <laughs> yeah. JR is. He's a great actor. Oh, yeah, yeah. He genuinely is very gifted in that regard. I I, I mean, we've watched so many times the, the compilation of him chastising Triple H. Yeah. I remember when, you know, the, the build-up to that Shawn Michaels-Triple H SummerSlam match for our last episode where, where he gets hit in the hammer in the back and he's like, not his back! <laughs> you son of a bitch, have you got no soul from this planet? <laughs> Now from Dark Mortimer, not much of a JR story, but me and the family barely missed seeing him in his restaurant back in 2007. The food was good, plus a lot of wrestling items displayed on the wall of the restaurant. JR's barbecue in Norman, Oklahoma. I was obsessed with this because I was reading his blog week to week back in the in the early 90s and he'd be like, yeah, I got the plans in, you know, the, the restaurant's coming. I'm like, he's going to have a fucking restaurant. Talk about going from a hard business to a hard business. I know. Wow. I know. And I mean, just reading the blog and you know, it eventually closed up shop. It was kind of, the idea was that we'll use the JR brand. We'll have sauces. We'll have the restaurant. It's going to be a whole, you know, big business essentially. I know the sauces are still going and all that. They are tasty, I will say. But like for me, the, the restaurant and the problems that they had along the way, there was like planning problems and, you know, they tried to get the wrestling crowd. I think people thought it was kind of like kind of a sports bar, like kind of a Hooters vibe, loads of shit on the walls. And he wanted it to be kind of like kind of a home family style restaurant. It, it, you know, it just always for me, my idea would have been Gordon Ramsay going there for a kitchen nightmares, <laughs> you know? No, Jim Ross doesn't deserve that. The bullying. Jim, <laughs> to have a successful business, you must reconcile with your father figure. Vince McMahon. Puts <laughs> <laughs> them both in a boxing yeah, match for some boxing. reason. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> now from Broly Adonis DC, he has so many iconic lines and he's helped make matches and moments feel even bigger. A perfect example of that is from King of the Ring 98 when Mankind flew off the Hell in the Cell. Good God Almighty, that killed him. As God is my witness, he is broken in half. Oh, baby. I mean... Compare that to Michael Cole when Shane McMahon was thrown off the cell reading the line, for the love of mankind, you know? Uh, he Who was in the moment there? The lad who had his notes? Or the, yeah. You know, for me with Jim Ross, it's like that passion. It's the, it's the difference between speaking from the heart and speaking really well with notes. Yeah. You know, but it's amazing, there's no comparison. It's amazing how he is able to speak so eloquently and poetically, even though he has no notes. Like, yeah, I know. And he's doing it straight from the heart. Like, I feel if I did that, I would end up not saying very much at all because I'd be like, oh, I, I want to make this moment iconic. And then I'd overthink it and I'd be like, oh God, nah, what? <laughs> it's just amazing the way he's just able to feel the moment and just say what he's feeling. He's one of those people I think those you know, growing up was just constantly calling matches in his head. Yeah. There's this big pool of wrestle stuff in there. It's just right there. So it can flow out at any given mm-hmm. moment, you know? Special shout out as well for the uh, not iconic trying to get over moments that he had, such as, 
calling Undertaker Booger Red and who's your daddy? <laughs> it was like a two month period where if anyone did a big move, he'd go, who is your daddy? <laughs> <laughs> now from Kyle Daredevil. JR's passion made something like Jeff Hardy versus The Undertaker's ladder match Ooh! so incredible. Yes. It's hard to describe, but when good old JR is on, there's no one quite like him. Plus, he's got a pinfall victory over Triple H. How many commentators can say that? Yeah, you want to check out that win-loss record? Yeah. I mean, good lord. He beat the coach in a country whipping match. Him and Austin beat Triple H in China. Him and King, they're... I think they only lost to Swagger and Cole that match that we wow, watched. Yeah. You know, they took on Lance Storm and William Regal in a tag. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, check him out in cage match. That man's got a. That's a. That you know, you're gonna bring back the rankings in AEW. Yeah. Jim Ross is gonna be in He'll that title win. contention. Like, and what is that iconic line he said about Jeff Hardy climbing the ladder? Climb the ladder, cage. Make yourself famous. My friend so Paddy good. described that line as being so powerful it makes you forget the outcome of the match every time you watch yeah. it. Very, very well put. <laughs> Next up from The Bobby Cash, Jim Ross is the best commentator of all time, if his time ended in 2008. Ever since he was drafted from Raw to SmackDown live on air without his knowledge, his passion for commentary seemed to die. I think that's the moment, yeah, if you're to pinpoint it, yeah. for sure. But his partnership with King is legendary and is essentially the soundtrack to the Attitude Era. Yeah, and I think, you know, Jim Ross, he can be the voice of... I, I think he can be the voice of wrestling. I would argue, and now at this point, with looking into the future as well, the next five, ten years, it's pretty undeniable that Michael Cole is now the voice of the WWE. Yeah. Jim Ross is the voice of wrestling. Yes. But Cole is... He is the ideal announcer for both Vince and now Triple H, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, and to see actually as well him over the years get better and better yeah, and better. It's been wonderful to see. The thing about Jim Ross is that the man is, you know, he's such a larger than life presence at that commentary desk that everyone else is kind of in orbit around him. Mm. I think him being gone and there being that length of time now, it let Michael Cole finally, you know, in his 50s, take a breath and be like, What's my you know, what's my voice? What yeah. what am I? And you know we're seeing that more and more and more now. Mm -hmm. You know, especially now Vince is gone. Yeah, I mean honestly, Michael Cole and Pat McAfee. That's oh, that's magic. I'm missing that hard at the moment in November 2022. Oh. But like, congratulations to Pat McAfee on the birth of his child. Hey, by the way, there we go. We were definitely time stamping. <laughs> <laughs> Next, from Paul D. Watts. Not a fave call or segment here, but what I think made Jim Ross so good was that he had so much personality. Whereas a lot of commentators can feel like set dressing, JR was another character on the show. And that, with his immense passion, is why I think he's so beloved. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a character. You know, I, I kind of... It's one of the reasons why I kind of like Excalibur in AEW. It's like, I like that there's a man in a mask. You mm. know? I, I like... There to be yeah you know, characters. Just, I like to be characters. I want variation. I want like this guy's a former wrestler. This guy's just kind of a you know he's quirky. He's weird or whatever it is. That's one thing I don't like about WWE. There's too many announcers whose gimmick is I'm the shiny announcer. Yeah. That's why I love Byron Saxton. He's got a defined role. He's, yes, you know he's he that is. guy. Like yeah. you know he's the kind of he's kind of nerdy, nice, it's weird. weird yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next up from Will is also young. Jr. became the voice of wrestling to countless wrestling fans decades ago through sheer gravitas and passion. It frustrates me to hear him today, but I can relate to him not wanting to give up what is his passion in life. One of the goats going on well after his peak. Yeah, I mean. It happens happens with wrestlers in the ring, and I think we're seeing it in, in real time happening with an announcer. But you know, when you're past your prime and everyone's too afraid to ask you to leave the dance, it's it's hard, you know. But yeah. I I'm thinking that he's going to be winding up soon. I, yeah, I, I, think I, so. I think so. You know, we'll do a revisit it over on the Patreon page if if and when that does mm. happen. 
But, you know, I, I don't see him wanting to pursue it if he can't be in one of the big leagues. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where they're at at the moment now. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he'll never stop podcasting. I think yeah. that'll never stop. Nah, that's, that's in him forever. Next up from James D. Leach. Absolute gold in his heyday. He could elevate a match from good to great and from great to legendary. His enthusiasm was infectious and his selling of heels and faces rivaled that of the best in-ring workers. That's so true. Yeah. Sadly, his lack of enthusiasm these days is equally infectious. The yin and the yang, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Finally now from Refs as Wizards. Much like how certain songs are the soundtrack to a particular part of your life, I feel like JL's commentary is the equivalent for wrestling. You simply can't see or imagine certain moments without also hearing his voice punctuating that moment. I'm not sure if that's for every wrestling fan, but that's for a large amount. I mean, that is... Dare I say a majority. Me. I mean, it's yeah. for you, is it? That's interesting. But like, even moments he wasn't there for, yeah, I, I still know. hear his voice. Because it's a more fun voice, right? It's a great <laughs> voice, yeah. And I like, in my mind, I take those iconic moments from like, Hell in a Cell yeah. or the Undertaker-Jeff Hardy match. I take those lines and I apply them to other matches as well. <laughs> and that's like, that's really good commentary. If you can like, penetrate that fact where you're you're making your audience enjoy other matches you're not a part of well, more so people, because of your influence people do that people literally cut out his commentary and they put it over other matches wow they do it like you know <laughs> it's insane i don't think anyone's ever done that for like gorilla monsoon or michael no. cole or anyone else like, <laughs> like oh my yeah, that's why i want to, want to cut king of the ring 98 and mankind gets thrown off the handle cell. oh my <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, a different episode, a, a really interesting topic to cover, and I'm really glad that we've able to kind of, I don't know, flesh out a little bit more of the story. And like, it, it, there's a lot to go there. I think it's someone whose tale needs to be told in full. I think you can mm. kind of gloss over a lot of the details. And I feel like even though we've taken our time here, this is by no means a definitive account of J.R., but no. I think we set out to at least give a little bit of flavor of like what what this man was all about and his influence in wrestling both you know behind the announce desk and and beyond i think he is you know as you already pointed out joe i think one of the most you know influential figures in in modern history of of wrestling you know and uh i'm really excited about the next episode because this is a different one this is very different and jr will be a big old fan of this episode oh, folks. let I me tell you <laughs> get the cowboy emojis yeah. at the ready here <laughs> our next episode after being so inspired by the lovely tales in the second half of Shawn michaels mm-hmm. career we're going to be looking in depth at the history the influence the impact and the legacy of wcw's Nitro Girls. Oh, I am so excited. The first ever episode about one of wrestling's only ever committed dance troops. We're <laughs> going to be looking at the usage, the development, the people involved, who was involved, where they went, how it was used in the show. We're going to be watching a little bit of Nitro. We're going to be seeing how this was used. And Joe, I beg of you, please, with someone who did very well in her dance GCSEs. <laughs> I'm excited to find out feedback about the type of dance we're seeing, who's got the skills, who's maybe phoning it in, all your favourites, folks. We're talking about Whisper. We're talking about Stacey Keebler. Wait, Stacey Keebler was a Nitro girl? Heck yes, Joe. Wow. We're even going to maybe dip in her toes into talking a little bit about Daphne, who's associated there as well. What? It is a heady brew of dancing outfits real life wrestling drama and some wrestling storylines as well it is genuinely one of the most intriguing and different parts of wrestling i'm always very excited to head down to 
WCW because mm. I feel like we get things there that we don't see in any other company. Yeah. And this also uh, kind of crosses over with Diamond Dallas Page a little bit as well. There's a lot. Ooh. A little bit of Eric Bischoff in there as well. So, uh, yeah, mm. we might be uh, getting our eyes on the Nitro Girls musical career post WCW. <laughs> any thoughts, memories, favorite members, favorite outfits, favorite dance numbers, mm. your history with the Nitro Girls using the hashtag how to Nitro Girls. I cannot wait for you guys to see the artwork for this one from Dan. It is Chef's Kiss. Going to be fabuloso. Yep. And as always, if you want to support this show, which we like to deliver to you for free with no ads, as always, it is entirely funded by our lovely backers over at Patreon, patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling, where you can give back to the show for as little as $5 a month and most importantly, get access to a whole bevy of audio goodies. we got series like Pay-Per-View Classic, and most recent episode, we were looking at No Way Out 2003 for a special Triple H punishment special. But we've also done WrestleMania 10, ECW December to December 2006, WrestleMania 17, Survivor Series 1998, a whole bunch of in-your-houses. It is one of our most beloved and our most fun series to do, I think. Yeah, so it's great. For that alone, I'd say it's worth checking out the Patreon. If you want it back for just one month to get access to the content, you can drop out whenever with no commitment. But until next time, it's going to be... Uh, I'm very excited about the next episode, Joe. I rejected the Nitro Girls outright when I was watching in the 90s. I bet you did, because they were WCW. And I regretted it every day since. I bet you did, yeah. Turns out my friend, who I used to play wrestling toys with, who liked to watch WCW as well, and said, the Nitro Girls, man. I was like, but they don't even wrestle. <laughs> Turns out he knew all sorts. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> we're going to get into it in our next episode. Until then... It's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. Boomer Sumer. We'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya.